When you ask functional questions about anything, organism or artifact, you must remember that it has come into its current or final form by a process that has its own requirements. And these are exactly as amenable to functional analysis as any features of the end state. Net, today's going to be a really good episode. I'm very excited for this episode. I was itching to talk about the book I know. last episode. I kept <laughs> Both wanting, of us were. <laughs> yeah, I kept wanting to bring it up, but then remembering that we hadn't covered it yet, and so we needed to wait until today. But here we are, getting ready to discuss Darwin's Dangerous Idea. By Daniel Dennett. By Daniel Dennett, who has an amazing beard. Yeah, <laughs> we <laughs> will definitely we link up. to his Wikipedia page in the show notes, yes. but it is one that's definitely worth reading. He's got a very interesting backstory life. He's actually friends with one of the other authors that we've covered on yeah. this show. He's friends with uh, Douglas Hofstetter from Godel Escher Bach. Excellent uh, episode, which everyone should go listen to. <laughs> very self-complimentary. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is an excellent episode, but a more excellent book. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic book. What's cool about realizing that uh, link between them is that this kind of felt like, in some ways, yeah. a partial sequel. Like a to, sister book, almost. Like, yeah, like, like a sister book. Yeah. Kind of like one of the books where, you know, how sometimes you reach the end of a book and it says, if you want more on this part, go yeah. read this. If you want more on this part, go read this. If you got to the end of Go to Lesher Bach and said, oh, I want to learn more about like the evolution genetic side of all this stuff, this would be a really good book to go to next. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And actually, in the same way as Go to Lesher Bach, it incorporates like things from so many different fields. Fields. Yeah. Maybe not quite as wide ranging as GEB, where GEB had music and in addition to all like, like computer science and math and logic and biology. This one was definitely biology heavy, but it also had, I mean, he even mentioned like Gödel's theorem. Yeah, incompleteness and, theorem is yeah. in there. And, and uh, there's a lot of philosophy of mind stuff yeah. in there. Very like AI undercurrent in here. And, and he mentions now, it, he talks yeah. about it a lot. Yeah. And he's like a pretty big commentator on AI stuff now. And I think the coolest thing is you told me, or like even just as we were starting to read this book, you were like, oh yeah, Hofstetter's mentioned in the introduction or the acknowledgements, right? As a Yeah, there's like an intro acknowledgement section and then it mentions Hofstadter reading through early drafts <laughs> of it and giving feedback, which is pretty cool. I was like, I could totally see that. And yeah. even their writing styles are similar, although I will say that Hofstetter is much more playful Mm -hmm. And Dennett is much more like almost Talebian in his like attacking nature. Yeah, he, he's he attacks much more strongly than Hofstetter, whereas Hofstetter will like poke fun at things. Yeah, I think that's uh, a good way of putting it. Is Dennett is a really fun guy to read because he does mix that Talebian, you know, like no, you were just clearly wrong <laughs> style with some of the Hofstetter playfulness. Yep. Which again, it's just like with such a dense book with so much like science, evolutionary theory, biology in it, it's hard to get through sometimes yeah. but his like just fun attitude makes it so much easier, it it easier to enjoy yeah it almost seems like a very long essay in some ways right mm -hmm. like it's like written in a very personal style as opposed to like oh we had to write this so a publisher could approve it and right yeah i'm actually very curious was it the same publisher as go to usher i'd be uh, curious remember we were saying like with gev it's surprising that they published a book that long with that many tangents oh and yeah that much like artwork and, and yeah it's it's a hard book at times kind of like denial of death in that way i found it's yeah. not hard like go to Lesher Bach like where it was proofs. hard to understand some of the proofs or not so much to understand them but to take the time to work through them yeah. this one was hard at points in the same way as denial of death where he dedicates a lot of time to refuting other people which is important and it's good that he does that but it's again something that you can kind of skip over it's not as important yeah I think that in my copy of the book I've got a solid like 60 page chunk where I just took no highlights I know exactly which section you're talking about yeah. too it's like literally a refutation for 60 pages just all like refutation and criticizing other people's arguments, which 
which is fine and interesting. Well, but. and actually one of the backstories for why we even did this book is I know even when we were just considering doing a podcast, I wanted to do Darwin's Origin of Species. And you were like, yeah, I've read it. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's really boring. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you were saying, it's like a refutation. Like he's basically like covering his butt the entire time, which to be fair, like at the time and how revolutionary of an idea that he came up with or surfaced, I guess. It was probably necessary. Oh, yeah, I absolutely had to do it. But in terms of enjoyment to read now, I mean, I still haven't read it, so I don't know. But I I did eagerly want to do a book on evolution. So that's why I was happy we did this one. Well, and that's actually a perfect place for us to start jumping into the book because... Yeah, who knows? The... Maybe I just did that on purpose. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he did. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> but okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the book opens with talking about basically some of where the theory came from and the challenges and the ideas preceding it. And one of the big things that Dennett kicks off by mentioning that that I hadn't really thought of before, but we had no idea what a gene was back then. So when Darwin's introducing this theory, part of why he has to do all of this like ass covering and is generally like throughout the book, he's pretty, for lack of a better word, non-aggressive in his argumentation. He's basically saying this is what it looks like is happening. It's really soft. Because otherwise it must seem like magic. Otherwise, if you don't know that a gene exists, it's probably like, well, how is this being transmitted? Is it like, right. Which is kind of what happens or something like (laughs) in in, in evolution or in origin of the species. Because he's saying, you know, this appears to be happening. We have no idea why. Yeah. It's just, this seems to be what's going on. And so without that, the original argument couldn't be nearly as strong, which opened the door to a lot of reputations and counter arguments since then. And since he didn't have that unit of heredity, again, he had like all these reasonable doubts about whether or not it would work. Yeah. And that's totally understandable too. Which is where context. Yeah. And I think that's where some of the arguments for a God directed evolution came from. Right. Because there was this uncertainty. Yeah. And he, Uh, he said this appears to be happening. And then it was really easy for somebody else to come along and say, well, yeah, it's happening because, you know, God designed it that way. Right. And it opened up the door a lot more for those types of interpretations of evolution, which we still see today. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of sects, especially of Christianity, and I think of Judaism as well, that accept like an older Earth hypothesis with evolution. Older Earth meaning like the three, like not just 6,000 years old, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four billion. So not the like, uh, um, it came up in the Elon Musk. What are they called? Yeah, Creation? flood geologists. Flood geologists. Flood yes, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know, people who have—it's kind of like the Enlightenment, right? It's like, okay, yeah, the Earth is a little older than the Bible says, but you know, God started evolution, right? Which is what Dennett talks about a lot in here is this distinction between skyhooks and cranes. Yeah, that was a really good metaphor. Yeah, and it doesn't come up until later. I think a few chapters from now, and yeah, in the universal acid section. But it's kind of worth I think discussing now because sure. it comes up so much. It's one of the core ideas. And is honestly, it takes a while to realize kind of how uncomfortable this should make you. But pretty much every version of mind first biology that we came from an intelligent being relies on some skyhook to get the process started, right? And the argument is basically, if you're building a building, you can use a crane to build the base, and then you can put the crane on that base to build a higher base, and you can keep going that way. You can keep using cranes to build it higher. Yep, so it's bottom up. Bottom up, exactly. Or you can use a skyhook, a magical you know, lift from the gods that can pick up pieces of the building and place them. And the creationist argument is that there's a skyhook right. in biology, that you know, some things, somebody came down, started this whole process and it's been going ever since. And Darwin's dangerous idea is essentially that there is no skyhook. It's just cranes. It's a bottom-up process that has been building on itself for two billion years or whatever. This actually reminded me a lot of uh, part one of Way of Zen. Remember where he was talking about like uh, how there is no word in Western languages for this sort of bottom-up? Oh, the knowledge. The knowledge, yeah. yeah bottom-up, yeah. where it's kind of like you don't need, you know, air quotes, somebody to 
initiate things. Mm -hmm. Things can just kind of grow spontaneously on their own. And it's kind of like a similar idea here of like bottom up, like you don't need a director to end up where we are right now. Or that something doesn't need to be explained to make sense. It's kind of like the question of how do you walk? Yeah, right. right. Exactly. It's the conventional versus the innate knowledge. Conventional versus, yeah. yeah, Conventional knowledge was the like stuff you can explain. Yeah, Yeah. the very Western style of thought. And then there was basically like a priori knowledge, right, is what you'd probably call it in philosophy. Just things that you know because you know them. Well, the skyhook is the director, basically, for any process where it's kind of like, um, I mean, evolution is probably the easiest example, but it's for so many things. It's like the how do you know how to walk? How do you know how to talk? How does the economy work right right like yeah there's just like so many of these like complicated things that just operate they just happen and they sort of self-assemble into order like markets any market is kind of like that yeah and then the danger is trying to construct a way to with skyhook predict it yeah Yeah, like which is basically like a lot of macroeconomics right right? it's great at explaining things that happened in the past but it has basically no predictive ability right right but then we get into trouble when we think that we can again it's just like problem of induction we can look back and we can say oh this makes sense because of this and then we can project it forward and that that really works although you could argue that now with like gene splicing and stuff maybe we have certain skyhooks to direct things yeah i mean uh, if anything we become the intelligent designer with i mean there were and i like how he did dive in we're getting really deep into the book now but there's a a part where he dives into the idea of that earth was like seeded with life from another planet mm-hmm. and and then he at the end of that argument when he like basically argues for a few pages in favor of it then he's like this is complete baloney <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he's like there's probably no way for me to prove this but it's complete baloney. It seems silly. yeah, <laughs> yeah. although to be because he basically said you can't disprove it right but you also can't like ever prove like at I least it doesn't no seem way. like you can prove it right now yeah We'd have to yeah. find some way to go through the entire like mitochondrial history, and that's just like not going to happen. Or if we found a planet that was older than Earth, but then had all the same some type of telltale sign that we originated from. I don't know. I even know what yeah, that would be. Yeah, it would be pretty hard. Yeah, because you could otherwise argue that it just life originated in two different places right. in the same way, which is possible. Yeah. Well, he gives a cool example of what might indicate that later with the numerals yeah. versus numbers. And I thought that was a really interesting distinction where if we met an alien species that understood the concept of one, two, three, four, that wouldn't be surprising right. because quantity as a physical thing is always going to make sense in the 10, universe. But if they have a base 10 number system. Yeah, like they have a base do. 10 number system and they use the same digits, yeah. right? If they use, you know, our drawing of a one, right? That would be weird. That would be, then really? we'll be like, all right, well, something crazy is happening here. Well, then we use the 10 because we have 10 fingers. 10 fingers, yeah. Dude, I had never thought about that yeah. before. The base 10, okay, yeah, well, that makes so much yeah. sense now. One, two, three. Yeah, right? But I, I'd never really put thought of those that. two together until I, had I a, mentioned it in the book. I took my first computer science class in uh, high school and mm-hmm. my professor gave us this, like, when he was teaching binary he gave us that like a basically mini lecture on why we use the base 10 so i was familiar with that already yeah but it still boggles my mind every time because it's like so many things spring from something so simple as we have 10 fingers yeah (laughs) but there are some civilizations that used non-base 10 counting systems i think mayans used base 16 or 64 uh, I'll have to look that up. We'll put it in the show notes, but it has been non-base 10 in the past and at least in a few remote places, but it does seem like the vast majority ended up using base 10, right? Yeah, it so seems I, like it. Yeah. I wonder I wonder if, if we found other civilizations, if they would also be using numerical systems based on the number of digits they had. Mm, like if they had 16 fingers. Would yeah, if they had 16, 16 fingers, it would be base 16, <laughs> right? I don't know. Well, actually, have you ever learned how to count binary on your hands? No. 
it's kind of cool because you can do like so one, two, three, four, five, oh, six, seven, eight, nine, and nobody yeah. can see it except Neil. But you can treat them like binary digits. And you can get up to. We can, like, I'm sure there's a YouTube video. About yeah, it. yeah, we can link to it. You can get up to what 2047 just on your 10 on your fingers. fingers. Yeah, that's actually really cool. Which is pretty sweet, right? Yeah. So if you get pretty quick at it, then when you need to count large things quickly, you can do it. Yeah, you can kind of do that's it. That's actually really cool. That makes total sense. Yeah, it's a neat process. I don't know where I learned that, but. Anyway, we'll, we'll we'll include a link to a video, or we'll just like make an Instagram of me doing. It. Yeah, there <laughs> we go. <laughs> I'll just be uh, Nat counting binary and pictures of Pepper, <laughs> <laughs> who's being very well behaved. Right yeah, now. she's been really good this. She's episode. great. Yeah. <laughs> but the the ultimate crane, going back to the whole crane skyhook thing, is essentially this algorithm. Because what then it's really hammering on is that Darwin discovered an algorithm for biological speciation, right? All of the differences that we see today in living life come from a very simple algorithm, which is a pretty crazy idea, right? It, you know, evolution by natural selection is a fairly simple idea. It's just literally like, hey, random things happen, and then some of those things make them more fit for the environment, and those things last. Yeah. And then just from that, you get all genetic variation for the last two billion years, Yeah. right? It's, it's the same thing that creates sharks as humans, as like trees. Yeah. And just it's one simple encapsulated idea, and it's this incredible powerful algorithm and that's where it starts to get scary and i loved the analogy that he had and i hope i'm not going to butcher this but it was basically like he said imagine you want to wake up in 400 years and you want to like cryogenically freeze yourself right and like it's like what what are the best strategies to do that right and he's like one you could select a location that you think Mm -hmm. in all feasibility like in the next 400 years nothing's going to happen to it and build this sort of chamber that is powered on its own through some sort of renewable energy source right so you don't need to rely on your descendants to pay for the power or something right he's like that's one strategy another strategy is build this robot that encapsulates your uh you know this chamber that you're cryogenically frozen in and that robot can respond to its environment and then he said now imagine that other people have done the same kind of thing so you'd have to build some way that that robot could interact with other robots to ensure that outlast the other robots yeah and then he's like this is basically what a gene is doing yeah (laughs) and i was like that it made so much sense because then he said the first example where you're kind of like picking a place Mm -hmm. and relying on a renewable energy source that's plants Right. And that's then the robots it's are basically like the animals. animals. Yeah. Yeah. When it goes back to. That was so cool. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you're right. It's just like these different strategies for ensuring survival and some work, as you said, and different things happen in the environment and others don't. And the ones that survive are the ones that perpetuate onwards. And just such a simple idea leads to such a differentiation of species. Yeah. And building on that, his point that he touches on later about sleep oh yeah which i hadn't thought of before (laughs) right where he he makes this point that a lot of people wonder what's the point of sleep sleep? and it's really it's sort of obvious right because sleep is incredibly energy efficient it's waking up that's weird yeah right because most living things in the world are asleep all the time right trees are always asleep it's the having any kind of conscious activity as part of your day that's strange right (laughs) and it's just that's that one was really crazy to think about right and it's like we actually sleep much less than most animals yeah. Right. Most yeah, animals are definitely. just like perpetually asleep. Yep. <laughs> so that's probably also part of our evolutionary advantage is just the amount of waking time that we, that we evolved have. into having. And I mean, going, building on that, right? It's like uh, sleep was almost a sur- well, not almost. It was a survival strategy, basically, because he was saying how, like, when you're asleep, provided you've picked a good, you know, safe-ish place to sleep, right? You can't go get yourself into trouble. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I was thinking, like, for humans, like we sleep way less, as you said. So maybe that's part of why we developed such, or, or not part of why we developed, but like how such powerful brains developed, because mm-hmm. you have to be sort of like if you're awake, you're probably going to get yourself into 
more situations that you need to be able to figure out how to get away from or yeah. figure out how to not get yourself into situations right. in the first place that are dangerous. And the people, I guess, who didn't do that, just they didn't survive. They didn't make it. Yeah. They didn't make it. Well, and also probably why we just sleep for the the moon period, right? Mm. Or for the night period. Yeah. Is that we're sight-based animals. Yeah. And so we need to be able to see. So we shouldn't be out hunting things at night. And plenty of animals see better than us at night. Exactly. Yeah. So, probably most yeah. animals. Yeah. Well, then any animal who can smell well, oh, yeah. right? Or exactly. hear well, we kind of suck at both of those. Yeah. Relative to <laughs> so, the... Yeah. yeah, exactly. We're really good at sight. We're great at sight. I think we're... There's very few animals that are I think are it was like birds that are like certain it's, birds are better. Yeah, like hawks and stuff that basically have like magnifying vision but yeah that's not there's not many it's not many ones. yeah yeah so that was our big advantage so we could be awake for more of the day yeah kind of cool yeah there's just so many like there's like infinite complexity here yeah. Yeah. but then at the same time it's this crazy simplicity <laughs> yeah. that you can explain everything right yep. all the variation by this one simple process and then most importantly right it's called darwin's dangerous idea and i don't think we've touched too much on why it's thought of as dangerous and it's really that everything comes back to that algorithm which means that we are not special right humans are just another, another iteration of, of the algorithm yeah. right we're not special our lives don't have any meaning our minds aren't special you know nothing put us here we are just the result of this algorithmic process but i don't know why people get so like or not just i mean it's not a few people it's like throughout ever since this idea came into being right it's like it is very special that this algorithm can output all of this complexity like yeah. Yeah, it's just like that is so awe-inspiring by itself. It shouldn't be like, I guess maybe it's offensive to the idea of like human specialness or uniqueness. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, it's offensive on two sides, right? Where we want to think we're special, right? And I think we like to think that our minds are special in particular. And those both just seem categorically false, right? You need a skyhook in order to say that we're special in any way over other animals. And the second part is obviously religion, right? So if you grow up in any kind of religious setting where you are told that humans are special and that there is a skyhook. Well, humans are special. I'm not disagreeing with that. It's just that we're special in a, we have a very unique attitude adaptation which is consciousness well okay i mean we could spend some time on that right yeah because you're you're saying that we have a special adaptation which is consciousness but then where is the line there right like dolphins mm, yeah that's a good point dolphins are yeah. pretty smart okay but there's yeah. dolphins are not building cities and Dude, they spaceships don't to, and, right that's true they've got a massive ocean they're hanging so, out but humans are got def- flippers they don't have so they're unique thumbs. in a different way right? right so dolphins would have their own special adaptation that okay. humans don't have right okay. so all i'm saying is like from a human perspective we yeah. are pretty special in that right. there aren't there's no other species that does what we do right so to us that's pretty special so it's but like we're not it's biologically just, special. We're, yeah, there's nothing yeah. unique about what created us. Let's right. put it that way. That, I think that's a better yeah. way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There, it's just like we evolved through this same process as every other animal. Just our adaptation seems to be like seem to be pretty interesting yeah <laughs> right. we're, we're like it's we're like, doing pretty well you could also make we, you can make the argument that like cows have also won and like wheat yeah. has won wheat and, and yeah and ants and, and cockroaches yeah. exactly cockroaches are incredible dude cockroaches yeah they're yeah. winners rats. ants are winners rats yeah, yeah there's That's, a lot that are doing pretty well exactly <laughs> <laughs> but also i mean most of them have won an evolution by developing some sort of relationship with us that's true too right yeah. like, like cows that. and so wheat it, yeah. are probably the two best examples or chickens yeah right definitely. you know yeah. cows chickens pigs dogs have beaten like most animals on the planet just by, by cooperating yeah by cooperating with us all right i, I actually i had this argument or this discussion with how common were cows before humans not this common yeah definitely not this common <laughs> definitely not this common yeah uh i don't remember who i was having this discussion with i was talking about it with someone over winter break and uh or it's not winter break it's 
holiday season, sure. whatever. Yeah, I, I still think mean. of it as winter break from college. <laughs> but basically, the domesticated farm animals actually have a more desirable life than their wild versions, as long as they're not living in you know the super say horrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they're living in the super horrible slaughterhouse style, then no. But if they're living in like a relatively well cared for farm, where they're just raised and then eventually slaughtered, that's way more preferable to living in the wild. So it's actually yeah. good for them to be like food sources for us because they're going to die no matter what. Right. Right. That's a given. Yeah. So a cow is going to die and it has two choices between spending. Yeah. But as our humans, right, it's got a choice between spending a life running away from predators and trying to stay alive or living in a happy enclosure where it gets all of its food brought to it. And there's other nice cows for it to hang out with. And it really doesn't have to worry about anything. Yeah. The latter one seems much better. Right. And okay, it might live like a year or two shorter, but it's also not going to have any kind of extended suffering, getting eaten apart by wolves, whatever is like quick, painless death. And then a great life besides that. That's better. Right. So you can see how they would evolve to be okay with being domesticated in that way right or i don't know if there's a decision being made there but it's like they're not evolving to be okay with it it's yeah. like they're being selected to be okay exactly with it, i guess <laughs> good yeah, yeah we, we have to we have to be clear about the darwinian versus lamarckian evolution i run right? into that same issue too when i talk about it it's like well so easy to say like i think i always anthrop- anthropomorphize yeah anthropomorphize yeah. evolution where i'm like oh they were selected right like the, or they were chosen or they were deciding to do it this way and it's like wait actually he calls that out in the book that yeah. it's it's an unfortunate consequence of him naming it natural selection yeah is it sounds anthropomorphized right, right. Like something was selected right it should did really- he talk about why he named it that did Dennett or Darwin? Dennett or Darwin. Because uh, I, I don't think either of them did. I'm curious, like, where did he come up with that terminology? It might have been... I guess as opposed yeah, to intentional to selection. Intelligent selection. Maybe that's the, or, yeah, I, I don't entirely know. It's I mean, kind of like the invisible hand. Working. Exactly. Yeah, it's about, like, yeah. Although I guess this would have come out... Yeah, this came out after Smith. Yeah, so it could have been like an invisible hand hmm. switched over to natural Although selection. even invisible hand assumes that there's a hand. Right. Yeah. And that, that's also kind of uh, unfortunate naming, yeah. right? Where it sounds like there's something guiding it. Right. But the argument is that, no, there's no top down. It's right. all bottom up. Right. So I don't know what the better term would be for natural selection. Maybe like random or but it's not random it's not, right it's yeah. well the, the variations are random but the results like the surviving is not random probably the best name for it would be like not a word it would just be like a formula like an yeah. algorithm we'd have to come up with a new sort. word yeah right because I, I can't think of a good way to describe in english a random process that results in a refinement right like it's maybe like because it's not selecting yeah, yeah i guess but it's not iterative selecting. iterative emergence iterative, yeah emergent, like. emergent improvement or something yeah, yeah i guess emergent advantage sure <laughs> something like anyway that. if anybody thinks of a good answer <laughs> yeah, we'd love this <laughs> yeah send us a note on twitter because there's got to be a better way to phrase it yeah <laughs> but yeah there again like this the dangerous idea right is it keeps going back to that is that it is just this emergent randomness that happened to create humans and here we are and you know there's no skyhook there's no like magical thing about human beings there's none of this like all of the mythology that we have created is also part of that process right. it's the mimetics side you know it's that was a really cool part too. Yeah. yeah and had you read self Gene before? No, I haven't. Highly yeah, recommend it. If you like yeah. that part, yeah, yeah, it was a really nice refresher. It's a yeah. great book. That's like so. Maybe you can just give an overview of what the yeah, like well, the idea of the meme. So he talks about it later on in the book, but basically that a meme is not you know what we think of it now, which is like you know a little picture of a penguin with some words <laughs> on it. Uh, it was originally an idea that gets spread around in a culture, right? So a really good way to think of this is a quotation he uses later that a scholar is a library's way of producing more libraries, right? A meme is an idea that flows through culture just like a gene. So it could be something like, okay, so make America great again, right? That's a meme. It's very catchy. It sticks 
in your mind. And then the more somebody says it, the more it spreads. Yeah. Whereas and other gene, people remember it. Exactly. More it. people remember it and they share it. And then a gene, right? Similar, right? The more people who copulate, who have that gene, the more the gene spreads. The more people who know a meme, who talk about it, the more that meme spreads. And so a meme is the cultural version of a gene. And basically what then is arguing related to this is that none of our ideas are particularly special either. They're just memes that have caught on and that have lasted and that there is a kind of natural selection to memes as well in that there is something special about memes that have lasted. And this is where I think his take on religion is pretty great. And it's kind of the one that I feel like I've come more towards since we started this podcast, actually, which is that there's a ton of value in these religious ideas that have lasted and that are still practiced, especially ones that survived enlightenment. Right. But a lot of the core texts are obviously faulty. Yeah. I mean, they were like, they're not adapted to the environment. If yeah. You, if, you, if you look at the exact words. Yeah. Right. But it, it's kind but of like ideas. What we've ta- exactly. Well, exactly yeah. what we've been talking about the, in any of those mythological type of episodes that we've done. Right. It's like it's about the ideas and the metaphors as opposed to like the literal words. Yeah. The modern idea of Christianity in many senses is great. Yeah. The core texts of Christianity yeah. are pretty brutal. Right. And actually, I had this conversation with somebody last night, um, just meeting up with a few friends and it came up. Mm-hmm. We we're talking about how like in Christianity, besides definitely there are some people who are fundamentalists and like literal readers of it. But for the most part, like Christianity has modernized in a lot of ways. We we're actually talking about this in relation to Islam and how like it's like considered offensive to even for a Muslim to say, because we were talking about Majid Nawaz. He had a, there's a BBC debate that he was on and it kind of had, um, who's that woman who's like a complete, she's completely renounced Islam. Oh yeah. The you one who runs about? the like refuge project yeah. for ex-Muslims. Yeah. So yeah. she was on there. He was on there. There was a, like a, like an imam type guy, like a very religious, like orthodox kind of person. And then there was like a moderate Muslim on there and they were basically talking and Majid Nawaz is kind of moderate Muslim as well. So they were just kind of like talking about the idea of reading the Quran literally. Right. And it came up and like, and Majid Nawaz is the one who suggested that, like, he said, it's fine that, you know, like, just like you shouldn't be reading the Bible literally. You probably shouldn't be reading the Quran literally either. But the ideas are valuable. Right. And the guy who's very religious took huge offense to that and was basically like, no, God's word is what it is. And like, and I think it's like, it's almost like they feel like if something, if, if that is like modernized in any way, mm-hmm. it's like you're pulling out all the foundation and it's like, what do they have left to stand on? Yeah. And so it's just, it's weird because they just like never had a reformation of any sort, whereas Christianity did have that. Right. And Judaism kind of constantly had it. Right. I mean, a lot of the particularly brutal ideas in Islam, you know, a lot of them came from Judaism. Right. Exactly. Right? So like not like... being able to depict God or the prophet, yep. like that's in the Old Testament as well. Yeah. But you don't see like <laughs> Jews burning down like Which apartment is... buildings yes. <laughs> because somebody drew a comic, right? right. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's, it's that whole like going through the adaptation, the natural selection over time. Right. And I think going back to the point that Dennett's making here is like, it's the core ideas that are still valuable. Right. And there's clearly some value to because they've survived all this time as well. But it's the like direct reading is just not probably that valuable. Yeah. Well, and he makes a really good analogy there too, to old like uh, tribal doctors, yeah. right? Where there's probably a lot of good wisdom in tribal medicine that has lasted, right? But if we only did tribal medicine, that would be bad. Right. But <laughs> advice like, hey, there are certain plants that are amazing for treating certain wounds, right? That's probably- That's been very shown to very be very shown. true. Yeah. So I, I actually have a great example of this. Uh, my family did a trip in the Amazon and we were you know, literally in the Amazon. So we were staying 
staying in this like pretty rustic lodge, you know, right on the river in, you know, this area where you basically had to move around by boat. You know, you can't go anywhere except for where these lodges are. And my mom got stung by this like massive wasp thing. I'd never seen a bug like this before. It just sort of flew out of nowhere, stung her right in the middle of her chest. Uh, Most painful sting she like ever gotten. And it like swelling like crazy. Right. And then this local guy and literally like local guy who lived in the area and like helped with some of the guided tours and stuff came over and he had this like plant salve and he just sort of like ground it up, put it in this kind of bandage paste and rubbed it on her chest and it was just gone. It was like reduced all the swelling, (laughs) took away a lot of the pain, just completely took care of it. Wow. And, you know, we were obviously really impressed, but it also makes sense, right? If you've been living for that long. Stung by things like that. Exactly. People get stung. The tribes figure out a way to solve these things and there's a lot of wisdom there. Whereas if you just said like, no, only modern medicine is right. You have to take a Tylenol to fix this, right? That's absurd. And it wouldn't have worked as well. Oh, no, definitely not. So, yeah, that's That's such a good point. Right. It's like a perfect example of sort of natural evolution of memes, of ideas, is that, you know, some things last and we keep them. And that usually means they're good in some way. And I actually think, you know, of course, there's like good and bad, but I actually think that's something we're kind of losing these days a lot of, which is sort of this like bottom up knowledge in many things. But like medicine being one of them, right, is like there aren't that many like native tribes left in any continent, really. But I wonder how much like knowledge has died with these tribes Mm -hmm. as they've died. Yeah. It's just very interesting to think about. Like there might be cures to a lot of things that we just have lost because the tribes are not there anymore. Well, and in some ways... You have to like rediscover them somehow. Well, we are going through a lot of that, which is this rediscovering of natural ways of living, right? I mean, I think the whole paleo ancestral movement... That's a great point, yeah. It's like, okay, the individual tribal medicines may not work, but there's a reason that people living in, you know, the jungles of Brazil don't get heart disease. Or obesity. Or obesity or or any of this, right? It's They're just living in a different way that we have lost. And most of these, like, you know, kind of like paleo ancestral whatever movements are really just trying to get back to a normal way of living while merging it with modernity, which is a really hard thing to do because none of us, most of us don't have jobs that allow us to walk for (laughs) 10 hours a day. So you got to do the treadmill desk, right? Or like standing, right? Or I mean, even for this podcast, right? We have to sit for two and a half hours. We could probably actually do it standing. We could try that sometime. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be good. I'm really down. I'm very down. All right. We'll try that next. Uh, but yeah, it's it's hard to merge. Actually, the next one's things. about body too. Oh yeah, yeah so we, 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, special sneak peek for the next episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so we're losing some of that evolution of thought by saying, oh, everything old is bad, everything new is good. Yeah, and we've seen the problems with that. I think we're time. I think again. we're getting better at it though, like you said. And I think it was maybe was it the 1800s or 1900s where we kind of really started fetishizing like modern technology. Yeah. I think it was the 1900s, probably. I say it was like post World War II or something, where it was like machinery like uh packaged foods and like in by the year 2000 we'll just be taking a nutrition pill exactly and- <laughs> yeah <laughs> you pill flying around in little spaceships yeah exactly and- so it was just like uh it seems like we're kind of getting back to like respecting this bottom-up approach a lot more yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's, I think, a great thing that we're getting closer to that. Yeah, and it's like the Lindy rule, right? It's like the older something is, the longer it will probably be around because there is a reason it has lasted, right? The foundation of pretty much every religion is some version of the golden rule, right? right? And there's a reason for that, (laughs) right? Like that is probably the most undying meme that, you know, that we've ever had that's just been around forever, right? And I wouldn't be surprised if it goes back, you know, well, well before time, like before language. Actually, again, last night, this conversation came up was related to the last part you just said, where if it goes back way before language we were hypothesizing on why the greeks invented so many concepts and one of my uh 
random hypotheses, right? I have no idea if this is true or not. And I don't know if it's even provable for in one way or the other is that they were just sort of in the right time and right place to write down all of these ideas that had existed probably way well before that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like, it just seems like they invented it, but they did, might not have actually invented it. It's oh, I'm sure. Codified by them. And we have better records from them. Right, right, exactly. And those are the records that survived also. And also Western, right? you know, it's like, it's been a European Western dominated world That's kind of point too. for a lot yep. of time since the Greeks. And That's so I'm sure point. that people in Asia came or up with all the same concepts. Like, yeah. We just don't hear about it because, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I went to school in the US, did you learn anything about China Not and Asia? Really. Maybe like one unit. Yeah, right? you, one unit. And a unit yeah, was like one unit. Half yeah, two, exactly, like, right? Yeah. Like one unit in world history in high school. And yeah. then the rest of it was Europe and America. Yep. Like nothing so on true. South America, nothing on Asia. Yeah, and so true. It's like there's way more people in Asia throughout history and they did things way earlier. Yeah. And then also then I think with the like Asia and China thing in particular, was that whole boat burning scenario when China uh, did that? Yeah, yeah, they locked just, themselves off from the world. Yeah, so they probably then even Japan like didn't even allow missionaries in until the 1600s for like so they were really closed off for a long time. And... Yeah, which is why they're probably still such kind of uh, culturally they're sort of like, it's almost like I don't know what a good analogy for this is, but you know how the Galapagos is this biologically preserved uh, area. Yeah, but like Japan is very culturally yeah. preserved. Yeah, you go there and it's different. Right, right. You go it's to not s- China, even though China's right next door. When it's not the U.S. And it's not the U.S. Either, to, yeah. Like if one thing I noticed when we were in Seoul in South Korea was it feels a lot the U.S. Oh, really? I haven't been to South Korea, but I've yeah. been to China and Japan and like Japan definitely feels like a different country. Yeah, Japan like, is like different. Yeah. Weird, right? Yeah. They, they managed to in do a, a very, good job of that. In a very cool way. Oh, no, I love like, it. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah, I actually, that was my biggest complaint about, uh, at least I only, in China, I only went to Beijing and Shanghai. Mm-hmm. My biggest complaint was it felt like America. Yeah. Like, even the road signs are the same color and like, I mean, it just felt like America. Like, the same, a lot of the same stores. Right. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of Asians, but that's it. Basically, it was Main like change. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay, signs are in uh, Mandarin or whatever. Okay, yes, there are differences. You have to use a VPN to connect your email. And Broad stuff. cultural stuff. It, right. Well, a lot it's of it's. Like, it's a lot. It seems like very imported. They have a lot of like, even though maybe politically they don't have that much alignment with the U.S., there is a lot of respect for like American brands and like American culture and like pop culture. Yeah, 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 exactly. Big consumerism. Whereas Japan is like definitely a different mentality around consumerism. You don't even see people walking around and eating or drinking like coffee. Nobody drinks or eats on the street. Yeah, we realized that halfway through our time in Kyoto, where we were walking around eating something and nobody else was, and there were no trash trash cans. cans. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and they were like, "Huh, I guess this just isn't a thing here. Yeah, just don't do it." But it's really cool that that hasn't happened there, whereas everywhere else in the world, even, let's say, I don't even know if it was invented in the US, but let's say that concept of eating and while walking, walking around right. or driving it seems was like American. a US thing. It seems like a US thing. I'm, ma- I'm actually making wait, an assumption. But I, I, I read something. I read something about this. I think it was on Farnham Street. Okay. How that trend actually started in Europe okay. in the 1700s or okay. something. And then it went away for a while and it's only recently started to come back. But we think of fast food and street food as like a newer popular thing thing but it's been around at least in the european world for like forever okay. it just like goes in cycles right and also i mean street food's a good example too yeah. of how that is super popular other places yeah. right because especially you in, street food in asia yeah southeast asia yeah. and everywhere basically everywhere that's not japan yeah japan do they have any i don't think i saw any street food in japan not really no yeah i did see it on this one island i went to called okay. miyajima but that's because that's like kind of what they that's like part of what they do it's yeah. like um it's off the coast of hiroshima 
And then it's a lot of fish. It's like a fishing island, oh, basically. Cool. So they have a lot of like stalls where they have like freshly grilled fish or like octopus or like, uh, yeah, just like different things on like skewers, basically. Nice. And But yeah, that was the only place I ever saw like street food, I think, in yeah, I don't think I saw it in Tokyo or Kyoto at all. I don't remember seeing any in yeah. Kyoto or Tokyo. But then you go to Taiwan and you could live on street food. <laughs> you could eat just street food. Saving in China, there's a there's street food everywhere in China. Yeah. yeah. All of Southeast Asia, like Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand. Yeah, that's a really good point. But yeah. but yeah, Japan is like this cultural island, basically. Like and if you also think about it, it's a little interesting how Japan is kind of bordering a very, very big country, China. Right. Well, bordering, I guess, there's a us ocean i guess in effectively the bordering small ocean yeah. but yeah and then korea is there as well and then i mean that part of russia is not very populated but still there's russia's there but japan is like they carved out their own kind of society that did last for i mean it's still around and but it's been around for like a long long time yeah i know I, when you went to japan and you, you went to kyoto forget what the name of the temple was but there was one uh not kyoto oh nara yeah yeah, did yeah, you go yeah, to nara? yeah we went to nara went, yeah they were like nara was the capital in like i forget the exact year it was like 600 ad or something yeah of japan and i was like 600 ad like that's like that's islam wasn't even in i think islam was like just coming, just coming into on. being right. at that time and that city is still like nara is still a place <laughs> well and i think there are temples and actually i misremembered we didn't go to nara but there are temples in kyoto that are that old as well I right older okay wow. I, I could be misremembering but i want to say there are temples in the kyoto area that are pre-christ wow which is crazy yeah yeah like i gotta double check that actually you know, i'm gonna look it up right now because i'm super curious let's see oldest temple yeah kenanji which was founded it says 2500 no years. wait no, 2500 years ago no 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 okay no that's 1200 that was okay 1200 that's okay that's the oldest zen temple yeah still really freaking still old. pretty old yeah columbus hadn't even quote yeah it was 300 years before columbus <laughs> so yeah quote discover <laughs> <laughs> swedes would like to have a word with you yeah. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, this, this is, is a super a, tangent. Yeah, but, uh, but it was a long way to say that yeah. ideas can act like genes. Yep. We call them memes and they can move across cultures and people. And there is some sort of natural selection to our ideas in the same way there is to biological beings. I think that's a really unique thing that humans have evolved to figure out how to do spread ideas. This does happen in other animals, too, oh, just really? not to okay. the same extent. So uh, one really cool example is whales. Whales have a way of fishing. And I got to see them do this when we were in Antarctica, which is it's so cool. So what they'll do is one whale will swim around at depth and blow bubbles constantly okay. and create basically a bubble chamber. Cool. So it's like a big just tube in the water of bubbles right going up. And this infuses the hell out of the fish. Right. right. Yeah. So all of the fish in the area will swim further into this kind or like the ones that are already in it will concentrate within the bubble sphere and or the bubble tube. It's easy pickings basically. Right. And then another whale will swim up and just scoop them all up in its mouth and eat them all and swim off and they'll take turns creating these little like bubble nets for each other that's really cool yeah and then here's the crazy thing it's not an evolved behavior none of them are born knowing how to do this they teach it to each other and so they've actually seen whales kind of like migrate around the world and then the ability to do that has spread as well and the reason we can see that is that we killed so many whales that the whales essentially lost a lot of their memes their their existing oh, knowledge because wow. imagine if you killed 95% of all humans yeah we'd lose so much we'd lose a lot of knowledge yeah. right and yep. so basically we did the whales and so now we're seeing some of these behaviors come back especially as they migrate around and teach it to other whales wow, it's pretty cool but yeah like you said really humans cool. humans definitely do it at the highest scale but i guess lions uh i've seen videos of like lions teaching their cubs mm -hmm. how to hunt how to hunt yeah that's super cool too yeah so you're right like that is 
Have you seen the sword? orcas or the, the killer whales pushing seals off of icebergs? Yes. By yeah. creating waves? Yep. That's yeah, cool. That's really cool. Yeah, so you're right. There are a lot of these things which are like spread animal to animal. But we're definitely the best at it. We do it at the biggest scale. You're right. Right. And that's kind of like the myths like you've all know Harari talks about in Sapiens. Yeah. Well, then like writing was kind of like the killer app for that, right? It like yeah. created a even better way to preserve knowledge. So like you and I read things from like Seneca. Right. <laughs> right. It was like 2000 years ago. We're able to essentially quote talk to or he can quote talk to us yeah from his 2000 genes. years ago his genes ago. can or his yeah. memes can last 2000 years and directly talk to like it's not even passed through like orally right between people which is what it was before right before right was a invented. relatively accurate original yeah. version exactly i mean if we could read latin we probably could get an accurate version yeah, of it definitely. you know yeah well and then the the other version of that which i think is so cool is that part of that mimetic evolution is the consolidation and the enhanced understanding where we can talk with a decent level of comprehension about relativity but a hundred years ago relativity wasn't even a thing right right <laughs> nobody could talk about relativity yeah. but uh, we can basically get like, okay, yeah, the faster you move, the slower time goes, you know. Uh, if Have you, you said that to somebody a hundred years ago, like, really, what? what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Right? Yeah. And, Probably and, lock you up in like an in a uh, mental hospital or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, right? like, that's insane. Yeah. I remember in my physics. Give you a lobot- lobotomy <laughs> or something. <laughs> in my physics class in high school, we were able to like read arrive equals MC squared. And if you know where you're going and you have like the starting premises, so if you're, you know, playing in a playpen, it's not that hard to yeah. do the math. That's true right? for a lot of so, Things, though, yeah, right? exactly. like, so you can yeah. understand it and you can get it. You can be like, oh, okay, cool. I see how we got there. Yeah. Right. The first shift is or the first figuring it out. That's monumental. Yeah. But then after that, it's pretty easy for us to digest these genius level insights. And then I we mean, can talk about equals MC squared is like a very simple formula. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to know all the math to get there. No. I mean, he, then it talks about this where there's different levels of understanding, right? Where there's like the design level where you know how to work a VCR but you don't know how a VCR works, right. but you can still use one, yes. yeah. right? You still get that, okay, I put the cassette in and then it plays, and I guess we should say like Blu-ray file. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, Blu-ray is out of we date. Might, yeah. We might have listeners who don't know, don't what, a know what a VCR is. VCR is, yeah, that's strange. <laughs> <laughs> actually, yeah, as of this year, there are adults who were born in the 2000s. Wow, you're right. That's crazy, right? That's crazy. Well, I saw that tweet on New Year's Eve. So on New Year's Eve, that is insane. Every single minor was born in the 2000s, and every single adult was born in the 1900s. Like that's pretty wild, right? And now there are adults who were born in the 2000s. So. Dude, that means we were born like. Okay, this was true even before, but we were born in the last century. Yeah. And like now that's not true for everybody. I know, right? <laughs> like, well, especially like now that there are 18 year olds yeah. who were born in the 2000s, we will work with some of them yeah. in the relatively near future, yeah. right? Like that's kind of weird to yeah. think about. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the point is VCR, that's a design level understanding. And then there's the, uh, what does he call it? Like the technical understanding? Of where, understanding how it's actually created? No, of understanding how to like tinker with it and yeah. fix things with it that are broken, like the repairman. And then there's the physical understanding which is how to build one from the ground up. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also a fourth level, which is the intentional understanding, which is where you're trying to deconstruct the VCR and figure out like why it was built this way and why these things make uh, sense. Yeah. Yeah. And what's really interesting about that is that most things we're doing with evolution, we're doing from an intentional standpoint where we're saying, okay, why does this happen? Right. Why are we evolved this way? Like, but why do we have sleep? Why do we have sleep? Like all of this stuff. But as he points out, just like how a VCR could have been built a certain way because you know somebody was lazy and just didn't want to do something else. Yep. Or there was like a meeting where everyone was hungry and they just came to a quick conclusion and skipped out on thinking about it too hard. Yep. Like evolution could have just done weird stuff yeah. where it's like we were going to be an artifact evolved. or something. Yeah, a weird artifact. I mean, we've got bones. We have an appendix. Appendix, exactly. <sighs> it's like supposedly maybe it was used to process grass 
right? Like it let us get more nutrients from grass. We don't eat grass anymore, but we never lost the appendix because it wasn't like a bad thing as much to have it or not enough of a bad thing to lose it. Does it still do anything if you eat grass? That's a good question. I I feel like it's an experiment. I wonder if someone will volunteer. Put somebody on like a half grass diet (laughs) and see if their appendix turns on. Starts doing something. Stuff, yeah. And to be fair, I could be completely wrong about the grass thing. That's just what I remember hearing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So don't go eat grass. Don't. Yeah, please. Don't nobody around this experiment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's this new diet. Yeah. Dude, I would not put it past somebody uh, in SF is eating a grass diet. I that and raw water. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, the raw water stuff. So that, now we're going to get on a real tangent. But yeah, oh I don't like that seems not so smart. A terrible idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, it depends on where you get the water. Sure. From. Like I've had spring water, right? Like no, really high exactly. up spring water. And yes, that's amazing. Exactly. That's probably not what raw water is. But, and it, but not even that. It's also like there's a reason why like water used to kill so many people. <laughs> like it was way healthier to just drink tea or beer, beer yeah. or <laughs> anything well, that, that wasn't water. <laughs> I, I, that was I why there's so many like ancient beers that were like 2% alcohol because exactly. they were just like, you're not going to die from it. Yeah. So. so we'll make it the weakest possible yeah. so that you can drink it all day while still being semi-productive. Yep. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the arguments for the Renaissance was that coffee basically created oh, the Renaissance because yeah. yeah. it was the first popular boiled drink in Europe. And so it was the only thing Things safe to drink besides beer so people wouldn't be like always sick or tired all the time exactly so yeah. instead of people being drunk all day yeah. they were hopped up on caffeine and now suddenly renaissance right that makes sense Probably going on a lot of tangents and maybe that's why like <laughs> leonardo yeah. da vinci i wasn't like doing 60 different things at exactly you know it was like wow i'm not drunk anymore i can be a painter and a mathematician and a scientist this is awesome which is how a lot of people feel when they <laughs> drink a lot of coffee. Right, you like one, I'm just picturing like one brush stroke on the Mona Lisa. Then he like starts working on an equation. Then he goes back and does another brush stroke. <laughs> yeah, just like crazy ADHD. <laughs> While listening to a podcast. Oh, wait, oh. what? <laughs> he was really advanced for his time. Inventing the helicopter. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Where were we? How did we get on this tangent? <laughs> Something about they can rewind and figure out how we got there. Oh, we, we can, now we, we can have to figure it out. The next thing, true. We can just skip ahead <laughs> and be like, all right. So, oh, well, we were talking about things evolving that don't necessarily have a reason. It's, oh, yeah, it's a blind process. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that too because it was. Uh, it reminded me of how certain, um, like those things, as you were saying with the appendix, right? It could have been adapted to an earlier environment, but then there was no stressor that took that required taking out that adaptation right because right? for the um, again let's assume that the appendix was there for grass like it maybe doesn't use any energy if it's not consuming anything yeah although i mean and there is a minor risk like to having the appendix right because yeah. it can burst and then you can die without modern medical care right right so there is a risk but it's not a big enough risk to be like that big of a selection pressure well and right? also we could have already undergone a lot of selection pressure right in That's that it true. could it maybe it used to be way bigger and way more resource or maybe the humans that had a uh, propensity to get that to get the appendix infected just died exactly all of them basically yeah, yeah well and we've seen or i think they've been able to see certain changes like that happen just with the like bone stuff that we have right like i think we're losing our pinky toes okay or something like those have gone down quite a bit interesting uh well and feet in general are weird right because yeah. if you look at how chimps feet evolve right. versus ours right there's a pretty big difference there yeah. yeah but i mean this is also i think a fun time to bring up one of my favorite parts of the book which is the aquatic ape theory oh yeah i like that a lot yeah i I love that he brought that up and and so my sister studies like human evolution
evolutionary Honestly. biology. Okay. And she hated that I brought this up oh. because apparently in like respected science circles. Does she circles, listen to this podcast? Uh, I think she does. So Sonia, <laughs> quick shout out. Uh, apparently in like respected science circles, this is just like laughed at. It's not taken seriously because okay. it, it's one person or it's like two people. So Dennett kind of up. called it out and he said like, he's like, this isn't a widely believed theory, yeah. but he's like, I haven't heard a good argument against it yet. Exactly. It's like interesting to think about. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of like a fun so thing. Actually to give the argument. Okay. Uh, that, yeah. yeah. So the argument is basically that the reason we are so differentiated from chimps is that at some point in our evolutionary history, we were basically like halfway to being dolphins, right? Because there's certain weird things about humans that are Salt explained. Yeah. Like that are explained by being aquatic. So there's a few things. Uh, lack of body hair is a big one. You pretty much only see that in more aquatic mammals. So obviously like hippos and whales, but then and like dolphins, elephants, all of them. Uh, and elephants are good in water as well. I mean, they don't go like deep in water, but they, a lot more they time swim, quote. Yeah. So, I mean, they bathe themselves in water. Like, They're like, very comfortable with water. Yeah. If yeah. we were just living in the middle of Africa, yeah. right, it wouldn't make sense for us to be hairless. Yeah, actually, that's a very interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of hypotheses for why that happened. There's also the thing about the body heat. People right. talk about how we basically would run down animals because we can run a lot we can longer. Run, yeah. Like, like our endurance is insane right. relative to animals. Yeah. We're not the fastest, but we can go just like forever. We can run down horses and yeah. other fast animals because like a cheetah can run at 70 miles an hour, but it can only do it for a minute. It's a sprint. Or two. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's going to be tired and then yep. we'll just catch up with it. Right. It's dead. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Easy. they were like, the only way to do that is to get rid of body heat very efficiently, which would require being hairless. So, I mean, I guess exactly. if it's just in isolation, there's mm -hmm. ways to like pick apart each of these things. Well, but hold like, on. I think we need to give the rest yes, of them. Sorry. Go ahead. If yep. it's just the no hair, people are going to be like, that's silly. But yeah. <laughs> there's others. So the layer of subcutaneous fat mm -hmm. is a big one. Yeah. So helping, you know, keep heat in when we're, because the hypothesis is that we were diving for oysters and clams and stuff and we're eating a lot more shellfish and living near the shore, which would also explain being bipedal because you could wade in to the waters about like halfway up to your waist and you could look and you could see, okay, you know, is there anything here that I can eat? Pick up the shellfish. If you're on all fours, you can't do that. Yeah. And it would have given us a bit of a ladder to becoming bipedal because half of our weight would have been underwater, right? So it would have been easier to start building up that hip strength. Yeah. Apparently, the location being in the trachea or the location of the trachea in the throat instead of in the nasal cavity mm. has something to do with it. Interesting. Uh, maybe for closing off breathing. The dive reflex is another big one. Yeah. If you drop a baby in the water, they'll hold their breath. Uh, apparently, a lot of other mammals that aren't aquatically adapted don't do that. Mm. So like that's part of it. The tears and the sweating, um, the bipedalism, using tools to like rocks to crack open shellfish could explain some of the tool development. Yep. There's like a lot of cool things that he mentioned in there. It's like kind of like interesting. So uh, do you know if there are any apes that live near the water? Because I'd be curious what behaviors they exhibit around this. Because or if they yeah, even I don't eat think shellfish, right? Because I, like we I'm definitely sure eat shellfish, yeah, and we can digest it pretty well. Mm -hmm. And we we also have I don't know about you, but I've noticed there's just a like an inclination to being near the water. water. Yeah. Right? There's something just like calming, calming. about it. And yeah. It feels right. And it feels, yeah, it really yeah. feels just like, you know, cause when you're out in nature in the woods and stuff like that feels really good too. Yeah. But then when you're just by the water, you feel better. Yeah. Right. It's like, there's something about it. And that just could be that, you know, we need water to live. Right. Right. This is comforting. That, that could just water. be it yeah. too. Right. And obviously all cities are built on water, but we also have that, you know, propensity to just like be close well, to it. It's fun to go in the water. Yeah. You know, like, like swimming feels yeah. good. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think there's, I I've heard this is part of the aquatic apes too, like our feet, partially bipedalism, yeah. and then partially also that the the bigger feet made it easier to swim, mm. right? It's like more kicking power. Yeah. So there's like a lot of little and things And our feet in there. are not good at gripping things. No, terrible. At all. Yeah. So it's like, 
they're just the standing sort of being on like in trees and stuff it's like we're not like our feet are not adapted to that anymore yeah well and to be our fair, hands are good at like holding on to things right and to be fair though as the evolutionary track is understood right now i think we were not supposed to have ever been arboreal we we're oh, not supposed it. to have okay, lived in trees yeah that's like a chimp evolution yeah strain but so we're not on that right. branch yeah basically. we're not on huh, on that branch yeah <laughs> <laughs> i meant evolutionary branch. Yeah, i didn't yeah, even yeah, need to do that but that's actually worked out really nicely it did, yeah, yeah. So, and these puns are much funnier when we explain them too so. <laughs> but anyway i just had to bring that up because i thought that was a really fun was part of the book cool. and i know it will uh frustrate sonia to no end so. <laughs> um there was one related thing I don't know if maybe it wasn't as well understood when he wrote the book, but it seemed like he overlooked, uh, at least seemed like he overlooked epigenetics. Yeah. So uh, like maybe was that just not well understood? I know his book's from 95, so it's a while ago. I think that was just not nearly as big a thing back then. Okay. And we should probably explain epigenetics. I think about like how genetic changes can't transmit from generation to generation unless it's like the gonads basically unless it's your sexual cells exactly. like so if it affects your ovaries or it affects your sperm obviously that would affect your offspring right but if we it, now know that's not true yeah that yeah, you yes, can yes. directly affect the genetic expression of your child which is very interesting but uh yeah he just didn't get it into that because i guess it wasn't as well understood maybe. i don't think it was as big a thing back then i think that's only become well known Somewhat recently yeah in like yeah. the last 10 15 years yeah have it really be studied probably because you need it's more than 20 years ago i wrote it yeah 23 23 years, years ago, ago. Yeah. yeah so uh yeah i think the epigenetics thing is really new and epigenetics is kind of crazy too because yeah. in some ways it validates the lamarckian evolutionary theory yeah. which is that things evolve for a reason and they kind of do because if your parents are expressing certain traits that will affect what your child expresses kind of like, you know if you're overweight your child will have a much higher propensity to diabetes yeah. for example uh, and have much poor insulin regulation and there was one that i was reading today is that the uh level of testosterone in women during child affects the facial features of their child so the more testosterone a woman has uh, the more masculine her child's features will be interesting so in some ways you can actually make your child more attractive by regulating your testosterone level as you're like raising a child in your womb right if if it's really if it's a girl right like just cut back on cholesterol and red meat like reduce your testosterone level great if it's a boy right just eat as much red meat as yeah exactly (laughs) which and so here's like another like really out there theory but more masculine looking cultures tend to eat Uh, higher levels of things that would affect that like prenatal testosterone right so that's like saying it's not really about genetics it's the part of it's the epigenetic expression yeah 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 it's the diet right interesting which would not be predicted by yeah, if just we just went off raw Darwin, yeah. it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. But you mix in the epigenetics, and now these things, Makes they do sense. start to make sense. Yeah. yeah. And we well, and I think we just didn't understand, or at De- when Denner wrote this book, we didn't understand that not all the genes are expressed right. at, at all, at all times, basically. Yeah. yeah. Is that it's technically not changing the genome, it's changing the phenotype. What's expressed. Right? What's yeah. expressed. Yeah. So, and that's... That's like pretty cool. I don't know. I think yeah. that's like crazy. I mean, uh, if anybody hasn't done their genetic testing, have you done your genetic no, testing? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. So you should. I know you just did. Absolutely yours, right? do it. Well, I did it a while ago and then I revisited it recently Okay. because the research keeps getting better. Right. So you kind of have to. What did you use? Which uh, service? So you use 23andMe to get your genome indexed, okay. but then there's another service called Prometheus, P-R-O-M-E-T-H-E-A-S-E. It's hard to remember name. You'll put a link in the show put notes. A link. Yeah, so yeah, I'll yeah. go to majorthinkpodcast.com. Majorthinkpodcast.com. And look at the show notes. And the nice thing is, if you've already done your 23andMe, Prometheus is only five bucks. It's cheap. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And so what they do is they import from the 23andMe API. Is it part of 23andMe? Or no, is no, it it's just different company. Okay. Different, yeah, different company. Uh, but 23andMe has to be really careful about what they say because they got that like massive lawsuit. Right. They were, yeah, they were overreaching. Prometheus, what they do is they take all your 23andMe data and they correlate it with 
every piece of genetic research on the internet, like everything that's out there that's ever been studied on genetics. And then they will tell you how your genotype corresponds with different genetic research and what that might indicate for your risks and advantages yeah, and everything you in your tweeting life. a bunch of things about yeah. that. So like, so, so you recently did that. Yeah, I recently plugged it back in there. And there's another one you can do like a much lighter version by Rhonda Patrick. And if it's like at foundmyfitness.com slash genetics. And she just looks at like 20 or 30 things. But Prometheus gives you everything, which is really cool. Really cool. So one of the things that was relevant to me was I've been doing this keto diet, right? And uh, taking a lot of perfect keto, exogenous <laughs> ketones and all that. And yeah, they're a sponsor of the show. So there are people who are genetically predisposed to do poorly on a high fat diet. Mm. So there's a few genes, uh, PPAR alpha, PPAR what do you mean gamma. By do poorly? Basically eating a high amount of saturated fat will just shoot your inflammation through the roof. Your body just doesn't like it. Yeah. So more common if you have genetic ancestry where you wouldn't have eaten a lot of saturated fat. So probably more like Asian, uh, so not dairy, like not, yeah. uh, cause I mean, dairy, there's no skin milk. No, exactly. <laughs> right. full fat dairy, yeah, butter. Butter. Like, I'm pretty much a Scandinavian mutt. Right. So I had none of the genetic issues, yeah. but a lot of people do. Yeah. And so they see stuff like, Oh, keto diet, like really good for you. Healthy, great for your biomarkers. They start on it. And then three months later, they're like, they're their triglycerides are through the roof. They're feeling horrible. Their inflammation's through the roof, yeah. right? All of this stuff. And it's like, Whoa, what's going on? And they've got this genetic variation, mm -hmm. right? And so you kind of have to test this stuff. I'm going to do this. Yeah. It's really yeah. cool to see because you learn all this other stuff too. I mean, the other one that I found related to what you're just talking about is I have a genetic 10x risk of diabetes. Really? Yeah. Oh, so like wow. I'm 10 okay. times more predisposed to diabetes than the average person. I don't have diabetes, but if my mom had been obese or overweight while she was rearing me, I probably would have diabetes because I have all the genetic markers for it. Interesting. But I wasn't epigenetically predisposed to it while being raised, right? So there are these like strange ways. That's really cool. Yeah, that you can activate these things in your kids. Or and, like, deactivate. Or deactivate, exactly. Yeah. Like the diabetes one is a perfect example where parents who have type 2 diabetes, their kids will have type 1 diabetes, hmm. right? The genetic version, not the habitually induced right. version. And then on the Even flip though their side, parents were habitually induced because exactly. type 2. Exactly. Huh. So even though That's really interesting. Yeah. And then you can also do the flip, right? Which is, you know, you may be really predisposed to diabetes, but if you don't end up activating it through your right. habits and lifestyle, your kids shouldn't have it either. Shouldn't have it either. Yeah. yeah. So, so that actually is uh, really interesting because it shows how your choices can kind of have like almost like infinite immortality out almost, yeah, right? That's it's like point. kind of like almost denial of death. Like, right. uh, or you could end up inadvertently killing off your genetic line exactly. in three or four generations yeah, with by your health. own bad choices. Yeah. Because yeah. actually, if, uh, there's uh, something to be said for that around ideas also, like the memes mm. and how, because like, even let's say there's nothing genetic in, maybe there is, but as far as I know, there's nothing genetic in your parenting style. Right. So your parenting style probably would affect your kid's parenting style. And their parenting style would affect their kids' parenting style. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you somebody is an abusive parent towards their children, that actually could perpetuate down your line in a really bad way. Yeah, and it does. And it does. Yeah. And you see that. Yeah. So it's like kind of by if somebody, let's say, stops that pattern, right, and can like make the conscious choice of like, I'm not going to do that. Right you could actually really help your line down. And also you could also make it a lot worse in the same way. So it kind of lends a little bit of credence to like the power of kind of like free will. The power of free will and the power of information. Yeah. Right. I think that's one of the remarkable things about, you know, first with writing and then with the printing press yeah. and now with the internet is that the rate of mimetic disruption goes up significantly. That's so true. Yeah. Right. Whereas in 2000 or in zero, right. One good idea talked about by enough people, you couldn't really refute it, but some idea can get popular now and just disappear in a year because the information contradicting it can get out so much faster. Yeah. And it's probably why we've seen some rise of secularism since, you know, the internet became more popular, yeah. right? Is that people who have access to more information
Reformation can still respect a lot of the religious ideas, but they don't buy into as much of the you know, creationism right. side of it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, okay, well, I've got access to all the information in the world. Some of this stuff works, some of it doesn't. Right. I have to like, well, create my own new life interpretation yeah. based off of it. Right. Yeah. And we've had way more power to do that than ever before. Right. And I, like trans fat is another great example of this. Right. I mean, if, if that had started in, you know, way earlier, or actually, I mean, it did start fairly early, like in the 60s or okay. 50s. Yeah, I don't know much about the history. Of and it really that. only went away once everybody started getting access to this information and was able to say, oh, OK, like, this, this is not a good idea. Kills you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like this needs to be illegal. It's actually legal now. Yeah. Yeah. As of 2018, it's now legal. It's awesome. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. So it's not in anything in the US, at least. Yeah. In the US, I think some companies have until the end of this year to get it out of their food, which is like totally fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? How did they manage to do that? I, I just some special just, exemption or something. Or? Yeah, it was something about what food, what companies, what food with the lobby, right? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, and also, so th- this is the like other bullshit side of it, which is that you can have a certain amount of it as long as it's below a certain percentage of the calories by weight. Like that's, Still. yeah, I oh, think so. Interesting. Because I guess it's like impossible to totally get rid of all of it. So we have to have some allowance, right? Which you know, the margarine, like lobby or whatever, yeah, like shoehorned yeah. in there. Yep. And then they probably made the amount larger than it needed to be, the exemption amount. Well, it's kind of like with sugar, right? If you've ever noticed, there's no percentage allowance for sugar mm, on yeah, nutrition right. facts yeah and that's purely a sugar lobby thing because if it were on there a coke would be over 100 percent, right mm, yeah you're right and so they yeah. don't want to put that on there because if you picked it up and you saw oh this is like five thousand percent of my daily sugar allowance right yep. you wouldn't want to drink it so what is your take on uh now we're getting a really fun tangent here, but it's kind of related to the idea of a meme, actually. So Taleb talks about, you know, like for labeling, mm-hmm. how he says like, uh, so kosher is on so many things that whether or not it's net, like it's such a small percentage of the population, right. but it's used on every label because it doesn't harm the majority to have that on the label, but the minority really cares about it. And same yeah. thing with GMO, right? So now like so many labels talk about, G- like they'll say GMO free, even though most people have no idea what that even stands for. Right. Right. So like, but the people that care. do care, yeah. it really makes a big difference, right? So um, in the same way, I wonder for sugar, if there were some brands that did start putting it on there, if people would start demanding that everybody does it. And the reason that's kind of top of mind right now is there's an experiment in beer going on in the US where as of right now, you don't need to put ingredients on a beer label. It's not like in the US, in the UK you do and in Europe you do. And I don't think you do in Asia because Asia is like the wild west (laughs) but uh, or the wild east. But uh, like in the UK, you have to put the ingredients on. So if you put like any artificial colorings or any artificial flavorings or any type of additive that is in the product, you have to put it on the label um, and you have to bold any potential allergens on there. So in the US, like there's tons of additives that are added to beer, depending on the brand, not every brand. But there's an experiment going on right now with certain breweries have kind of banded together and said, we're going to voluntarily start putting ingredients Uh on the label. And the idea is that as people start seeing that on some labels, they're going to wonder why it's not on other labels. And they'll just assume that the ones that don't put the ingredients on are hiding something. So it'll create almost this like tyranny of the minority situation where the people that do care will just stop buying the brands that don't put the ingredients on the label. And through that, you'll kind of create this bottom up change, uh, which is a pretty interesting idea. I don't know if it'll work, but it's an interesting thought. Yeah. Well, then you Uh, can just like start calling them out too. Yeah, the brands that do, right? It's like, we're honest about our labeling and now suddenly everybody else has to be honest about theirs (laughs) too. Exactly, but it's a kind of cool thing. So I wonder for sugar if that could ever happen too. Like certain brands just say like, okay, we're going to put like the percentage, like this is two grams of sugar. It's 10% of your daily sugar or whatever. You know, I don't know what the daily sugar allowance, I guess maybe that's part of it. There's no like, yeah, consensus well, on what the there is some, but it's really skewed. Okay, right, and so there's actually uh, sure the U.S. government is like a hundred grams of sugar a day or something, something crazy. <laughs> I mean, the sugar lobby is so strong; it's yeah. one of the richest lobbies in the country. Yeah, right. It's absurd what they can get away with. And the, the weird thing though is, 
there is actually pretty good research to back up a super high carb diet. Okay, interesting. But the caveat is that you have to have basically no fat with it. Uh, so Okay, so if you just had like... Um, if you literally ate like rice and sugar, a lot of your biomarkers would actually be pretty good. Huh. You would have bad nutrition, definitely, right? You wouldn't be getting a lot of vitamins and nutrients and things so that you, you needed. Had, let's say the split right now was 20%. Like, let's say the standard, like, according to the government, yeah. right, would be mm-hmm. like, what, like 20% protein, 70% like, carbs, 10% fat or something? Uh, it's probably more like 20% protein, 30% fat, okay. 50% carbs, Got it. right? Or maybe like 60 carbs in 2020. It's like something around there. So you're saying if it was like 90, not 90, but maybe 80% carbs or 75% carbs. So the, the research that I've seen indicates that the diets that have like the most crazy results on health biomarkers and stuff are either crazy high carbs or crazy high fat. Hmm, but you can't have both. But mixed diets over the long term seem to work out poorly, which actually makes sense. Because if you think about how we would have eaten, we would have either been eating meat, right? Right. When it's like, okay, we killed something, like let's feast, or we would be eating, you know, plants and, you know, grains and stuff. I told you the mango story, remember? Yeah, exactly. Because you couldn't get mangoes year round. So just be like, okay, it's harvest time. Yeah. Just going to eat as many of these as we can. Eat like 100 mangoes for the next couple weeks. Yeah. But then, like, you're not going to get any for the next 363 days, basically. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or or it's like, uh, you know, Inuit, right? Where they'll live on seal blubber for months and then they'll have like a ton of plants. For yeah. a little while and then just seal blubber right yeah. uh and again this also goes back to the genetic predisposition to different diets yeah you have to test this stuff that's really because cool. the idea that a mediterranean diet is what's best for everyone is absurd right right yeah. it's definitely the best for you if you have mediterranean heritage right yeah but if you put most asians on like a high dairy diet it's it probably be won't bad work news. too well for yeah. yeah yeah that's a very good point so that's really cool. Yeah. I need to go do that test. Dude, it's a great test. I highly <laughs> recommend it. And we are just way off. We've definitely <laughs> lost the plot on memetics. There was some No, it was all it was Yeah, all it was all, it was all basically related. Uh but actually I mean speaking we didn't of go any more tangents than usual. Yeah, we've got yeah. we got the time for just Yeah, it's exactly. nice. Yeah. So <laughs> All right, getting back to the book and not our genetic testing. Uh, I mean, I think a cool spot to hop back in here too is this idea of speciation, where we think of species as distinct groups now, but their creation can never be identified looking forward. Right. Right. It's like it's something we can only realize going backwards. So we've got this idea of mitochondrial ease. Because it's so gradual. Yeah. Too. Yeah. So, so gradual. Like, yeah. Progressive. You can look back and you can recognize, okay, that was the first human. But even if we're messing with something like, you know, dog breeds, it'd be really hard for us to say like, oh, now this one's a new species. Right. Right. It, so you even, can't tell it as it's occurring. Basically, I love the, the quote he has where he says uh, it reminded him of a comically bad historical novel in which a French doctor came home to supper one evening in 1802 and said to his wife, guess what I did today? I assisted in the birth of Victor Hugo. Perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are only significant when we look back on them later. Right. Right. Like, I mean, we've all had things like this too, where we'll do something that will seem fairly inconsequential at the time, but then yeah. looking back, oh, that was a huge that was a crucial thing moment. that I did, a yeah. crucial moment, <laughs> right? Which is kind of why I think there's a good argument against doing too much forward planning mm, with yeah. your life and with goal setting and Definitely. whatnot, yeah. right? It's kind of like you should tinker around and cool stuff is going to happen, but then you're going to create a narrative hold about- Hold them loosely, I guess, like hold your goals loosely. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what is it like- uh, it's like strong opinions loosely held, but strong goals loosely held, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like, you know, fix yourself on something aspirational to go after, but don't be too wedded to it when something big happens. Right. Or yeah. you might miss another opportunity that's like staring you in the face, but you're completely missing because yeah. you're too focused on this one thing. Totally. And not flexible enough. Right, right. 
Um, yeah, so this that is was super a cool way to think I like about that. It. And then also that there is a mitochondrial Eve who wouldn't necessarily be the first human, but is the one that we all have in common, right? Because right? every human alive today has one ancestor in common. There's one female, if we go far enough back, that we're yeah. all descended from. Yeah. But she wouldn't necessarily be the first human because yeah. there could have been... There could have been one humans before we just didn't descend from them. Yeah, that we just didn't yeah. descend from them because there might have been some like selective pressure where this one woman's line won out, but there has to be one. Yeah. And it's probably not the very first one right it's probably something else that happened along the way that there would be a new one right it would Maybe be like this is if, one that happened post aquatic ape post aquatic apes yeah, yeah or uh, <laughs> post post atlantis yeah. right <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry we're just pissing off your sister now <laughs> <laughs> well I, I mean i actually think the and this is like getting into more like voodoo science territory, but okay. the whole like flood yeah, theory stuff I do find pretty interesting too. Mm, yeah. Right. And it, this wouldn't be like a existential event, but it would be a pretty massive evolutionary selection event, especially mimetic selection, yeah. right? Where the ideas that would have lasted from whatever big flood there was, so I guess 12,000 years ago that would be a pretty big change on the species from before, right? Or have Where, left a pretty big imprint, even from an oral tradition standpoint. Yeah, like, exactly. You would not forget. If 95% <laughs> of the humans got wiped out, yeah. except for these 5% that had, you know, a certain ideological set, that is probably what has lasted since then, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, kind of like the golden rule idea, right? I feel like that has lasted for one of two reasons, right? Either we actually have a genetic predisposition to that, and that's part of how we won, right? It's like humans won because they could cooperate, right? And cooperation requires this kind of golden golden, rule below it. Or we are just the humans that survived some big extinction event. Yeah. And it just happens to be that we like. So this is like a relic of that. It could be a vestigial organ or it could be like the heart. It's hard to know which one it is. It's really hard to know. Yeah. Too much stuff going on in the back. And this is actually where some of this evolutionary and mimetic stuff gets so hard is because it's so hard to know like what level to look at it at. Right. <laughs> and if something is, you know, if it has a purpose or if it just happened on accident and breaking it down is hard too. He's got this good example of a traffic jam where, you know, it doesn't always make sense to look at the most base level of a system. Because if you broke every car down to its steering and acceleration and braking, that wouldn't explain traffic. Right. <laughs> right. You have to look at like broader parts and of the, the system. And the relations between each of the cars you'd yeah. probably have to look at that too yeah exactly there's just like infinite complexity not so infinite but a lot of a complexity, lot of complexity. <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's hard to know where in the system to look yeah uh and it's really easy to create you know fabricated explanations of things and we we do that all the time <laughs> right where we say like oh this happens because this because that's what it looks like right, right? like the example i love is retrograde motion okay. you familiar with this one uh-uh. it's like so pre-copernicus Okay, so actually, first, if you track it every night, like if you go out and you look in the sky and you find Mars, oh, I think we've keep, talked about it on no, the no, show but keep before. Going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. yeah uh, if you if you watch yeah. it, Mars will move backwards at right. points yeah. because our orbit around the sun will take over theirs, and it will essentially look like they moved backwards because they'll have basically pivoted relative to us in the night sky, and so it'll seem like they moved backwards. And so pre-Copernicus, when there was still like a geocentric orbit model, yeah. people thought that all the planets moved in. In little circles within their orbits. So this is hard to explain with just audio, but imagine like a top spinning and then the planet's on the edge of the top, but then the top is itself going around something else, right? So that's how they modeled the planets moving. It was just like spinning 
you know, around themselves, around the earth. Yeah. And then once you understand heliocentrism, it's like, it's oh, like, oh, this makes so much, this makes so much more sense. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but it's really hard to know where we're doing that until after like the bigger yeah. you know, realization is had. And I mean, I'm sure there's stuff like that that we're, sure all we're all doing all the time. Yeah, oh, yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah. And these these things are only obvious and silly in retrospect. Yeah. Right? At the time, they make perfect sense. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, of course they have this weird part of their orbit that only yeah. seems to work. Dude, because. God designed it that way. Yeah, it's very exactly. simple. Right? Yeah, that's true. So he, he created the, the heavens and the earth. Yeah. And if that's how the heavens move, that's how the that's heavens how move. move. Yeah. yeah, easy. That's such a cop out. Skyhook. I know it is, right? <laughs> well, that's why like the, I don't know where this phrase comes from, but God hides in the gaps right where, i've never heard that or, before, or god like of the it. gaps okay i've heard that before but i like the i like that phrase yeah wherever there's a hole in our explanation right that's where god fits yeah. in, right and to be fair that is a good way of maintaining religion with advances in science which is you know okay so for a while we thought that god just created all the animals and the humans it's like okay well evolution makes a lot of sense okay well god started evolution right because like well who started it then it's like well okay you know these macros you know latched onto clay molecules and they started it's like okay well you know who actually put the macros that right? like you yeah. can always find Keep something else backwards. to walk it back to right eventually you get to like okay well who started the big bang right, right? yeah it's like well you know it's an ever a never-ending process of expansion and contraction right one theory right well okay well who started the never-ending right. right yeah so you can always find a new gap to that's a really interesting it into. too is just like i wonder because that is the thing people can always point to mm-hmm. and i wonder if that would i don't think it'll be solved in our lifetime but if at some point if it ever got solved that'd be really cool like how how did the big bang happen or what started the big bang yeah i guess then you could still probably go back behind that like if you're talking about this endless cycle hypothesis right it's like yeah it's really interesting well it's kind of like the whole strange loopiness right because we're in the system we can probably never fully explain the system yeah like we can't jump out of it right so we just probably have to hmm. wormholes to another universe yeah right like (laughs) it's just sort of that incompleteness theorem (laughs) applied to physics and geological history right? right it's like odds are that because we're part of the system, we'll never explain we'll the never, system. Um, yeah, because there's probably no way out of the system. Just like our minds, right? Simulation, we'll never though. fully explain consciousness because... It's a simulation, right? <laughs> Isn't yeah, it? then what created the simulation? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, yeah, it's their big bang, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, going. I'm stuck. <laughs> yeah. Life is a strange loop. Oh, okay. So kind of related to this in the next section, though, that this i or i guess it's not that related it's the next cool part that i want to touch on i i honestly i have no bridge here i just want to talk about this hey part whatever who cares? <laughs> it's in the outline so it's, it's in the outline it's allowed yeah it's highlighted we're good to go it's not a tangent and you can get these outlines yeah. by signing up at made you think podcast.com and getting notified of upcoming episodes and getting our notes and uh thank you to everybody who's already done that yes uh, yeah uh, they've been getting free money for the last few weeks so if you haven't signed up by now you should probably do that soon. yeah we're gonna end that soon yeah exactly yeah, yeah i think this is your last chance so if you want free money next week, be sure you sign up now. Anyway, things that are actually true. Uh, <laughs> he's got this mention of different kinds of creations that I thought was pretty neat, where like Newton's Principia is actually not that special. Because if Newton hadn't created the Principia, somebody would have figured out calculus, yeah. right? Like it's not actually that special because it's a law of the universe, right? It's right. there to so be discovered. Would, exactly. So it would have happened. It just wouldn't have been Newton. Who just wouldn't have been like somebody else. else. Yeah. And there was actually, I mean, who was it? So you could say that about like Einstein and you could say that about like, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of And a lot of these ideas yeah. crop up right. in multiple places at the same time, yeah. right? Like the light bulb Which and evolution really and idea. calculus yep. and all of this stuff. But then he makes the distinction that if the Eiffel Tower's designer had never been born, we would never have an Eiffel Tower, right? right? Nobody else. Because it's not a natural. It's not a natural thing. And he kind of makes this distinction between intention and non-intention, right? Like art has intention, buildings have intention, songs have intention, but natural things have no intention. Because they're discovered. Yeah. Yeah. 
or discovered. It's kind of like discovered as opposed to created in a lot of ways. Like math exists. Right. So discovered. someone would discover it. It's like you can't create outer space. You can discover outer space. Like, because it's already there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, nobody made the sun the center of the solar system. Right. Right. It was. We were wrong for a while, and then we were right. Yeah. So it's kind of like surfacing something that is already in existence, as opposed to like, yeah, like any kind of art form basically is created. Because it's not really there. I guess it is in the Library of Babel type of example. Like it's in the scope of possibilities. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it'd yeah. have to be. Um, yeah, we so should talk about that actually. Oh, it's true. We haven't talked about that at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was such an interesting thought experiment in the book was this Library of Babel example where you can imagine an infinite library that has every single work that could be created yep. by a human mind, every single combination of letters, of letters right? Yeah. In every perceivable way. And so one of which has the biography to your life, even the parts you haven't written yet. Exactly. Or yeah. like in the parts that haven't happened yet. You just and don't then, know which one's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing is that yeah. it's, it would have that book and every single possible iteration Other on thing. that book yep. with, you know, one comma added right. in between every single letter, one period added between, you know, these random like, you know, literally in every infinite combination. Right. Yeah. And so everything that we can create is is within that. Uh, And then he uses that with like a lot of the genetic variation too, which is that there's a genetic library of Babel in that there's technically infinite genetic variation, but there's only a certain amount of it that's actually been expressed. Right. In terms of like, because this is like the constraints to which that design space is subject to. Right. And to a certain extent, it's a result of that branching that has happened throughout all of, you know, biological history, where we started with something and everything was branched off of that. And for some reason, you know, he gives the example of horned birds. Yeah. Right. Like it's physically possible for a bird to have horns. Yeah. But so far it doesn't exist. Right. Right. So why is that? Is it just a result of the tree that we happen to find our existence on? Or is there some weird biological law that we're unaware of preventing it? Yeah. I wonder how genetic engineering is going to affect some of these possibilities. Like we'll quickly find out if some of these possibilities are possible. Right. Or, I mean, it doesn't seem like, yeah, like with the horned birds example, it doesn't seem like there would be a reason why that isn't theoretically possible. Yeah. It's just that the branches just doesn't didn't go yeah. that way. Yeah. And you can kind of imagine why it wouldn't, right? Right. Because horns are mostly like a ramming instrument for right. ground animals and birds would never really be ramming each other. But yeah. Oh, well, maybe if it had really sharp ones that it could just like stick. Yeah. Another bird. I guess like, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like woodpeckers have evolved like very hard beaks. Right. So to like drill. Drill. Yeah. It's kind of like mm. probably the closest example, but maybe it's also just it weighs too much to fly with or... Yeah, it could be heavy. There's a lot of... Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. It's interesting. But it was a cool thought experiment. Yeah. Right. That we are just on this one random branch, branch of all possible genetic variations. And so the distinction he's making is that humans aren't special, mm. right? Evolution can explain that we are here, but it can't explain like why us, mm. right? Or he can explain that we could be arrived at, but it doesn't say that we will be arrived at. Yeah. Right. Humans aren't like the end of evolution. Right. Which is why, uh, so this, and then, um, I think I mentioned maybe on another episode, that book, Rare Earth. Mm. So basically that book goes through all of the sort of chance possibilities that happened in early earth to lead to the conditions, which could lead to this like warm pool idea that Darwin has, right. Of like how life initially could have been formed. Right. Right. So that book talks about all the like sort of microscopic probability of all that stuff happening again, which is like in an infinite universe could still probably happen again. But then like when you combine that with this book, it shows that like the odds that on another planet something would that would evolve that is exactly like us or matches our definition of intelligence right is actually like very low yeah like so that whole um fermi's paradox mm-hmm. right might not actually be as much of a paradox as like it is a paradox if you think this is the only possible branch of evolution 
But yeah. there are tons of other branches that could have just, it just didn't happen on Earth, but it could have gone a totally different direction. And there might be like super bacteria on some other planet that aren't like building skyscrapers, but like they're another branch of possible evolution. Or they just reached a comfortable homeostasis. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It's like if the asteroid hadn't hit, would we just, you know, stay as a dinosaur planet? Right. That's so, the other thing. Yeah. yeah. So, or like, I mean, even more basic stuff, like the mitochondria never entering the cell to create eukaryotic cells. Like that was a really big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and that just could have just not happened. Right. Yeah. Like we don't know what conditions led to that happening. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, so there's just like all these like minute events that happen. So it's kind of like, I would be surprised if life didn't exist outside of Earth, mm -hmm. like life did not exist outside of Earth. But I would actually be very surprised if there was like a human-like species yeah. on another planet. Yeah. Like human-like in the sense that we could possibly communicate with them. You know, like that would actually be surprising to me. I could be totally wrong, but yeah, it just it seems like even just reading this book, all the, the things that led to this branch of evolution branching out the way it did. is It really depends on like what's the condition to think about it at. Because like I definitely believe that it's out there in the universe. Right. And actually, I mean. But it could be past the uh, horizon. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It could be well beyond the horizon of what we yeah. can see and interact with and obviously like feasibly travel to. Right. But I mean, statistically, there probably is another humanoid species out there, but yeah. we'll never. But in our neighborhood. Yeah, in our neighborhood right. where we could interact with it. It's yeah. like I would totally believe that we find like algae or bacteria yeah, exactly. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. If we didn't find that actually, but it would be weird if we found another one that could like build spaceships, right? Right, exactly, or that they would even think about that, unless we just don't understand some fundamental physics concept. That's the other thing, That's is like the there thing. could be because he talks about this a little bit, is that there could also be you know some trans species or like even trans planetary like driving factors that are just like universal things where it's like if life evolves anywhere it will continue to improve and improve and improve and eventually it should hit on something like us yeah right uh early not necessarily like but us is, but uh, with the motivations yeah right but it's a very like human centric that's what i was gonna say yeah. like that actually almost negates a lot of the points that he's been making throughout the whole book yeah i don't think right? he, of like well i think he, he mostly was criticizing that point. that point yeah right, yeah exactly, yeah, yeah. 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 But you know what I mean, though, right? It's like it's like kind of the opposite of what he's saying right. in the book. Right. Where if you well, view it that way, then it's like, okay, yeah, humans were sort of like... Predestined. Humans were the, the prize at the end of the <laughs> evolutionary branch, which is like not at all what he's saying. Which here. is how some people interpreted Darwin, though. Right. Is that they were like, yeah. oh, this is why we're special. We are right. the end of evolution. Yeah. Right? Evolution like created us. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he makes the really good distinction that if you... So you're just a, substituting the word God for evolution in exactly. that instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, and he makes that good distinction of a coin flipping contest. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's so that's, and that's like so survivorship bias, like mm -hmm. club esque things. Yeah, I love yeah. I love that. If you had a hundred people in a coin flipping tournament and they were going heads to head it or was, head to head, it was one thousand twenty. One thousand twenty four. Yeah, yeah. And there will be person, one person. <laughs> well, theoretically, one person should. Um, no, but if they're going head to head, right, and you keep going, oh yeah, one person will yeah, win right. all ten games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's so, like yeah. That but whereas that person, if you ask somebody the question of like okay. I have 1,024 people and they're going head to head in a coin toss competition, right. like a tournament. What are the odds that any of them will get 10 heads in a row? Well, I don't, 10, I don't think, no, that's, that's no, not no, the question. No, no, that's no, the question is, win, will this win, person win? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. It's like, if you picked an individual at the beginning, that would actually be yeah, really hard. You'd yeah. have no way of knowing right. who would win, but exactly. at the end, someone, someone will, will win. Yes. Right. No. So the odds that somebody will win that contest are hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. But the odds that you will win are, are not extremely high. low. Yes. Exactly. But the person who makes it all the way through and wins, they will probably think they are special. Yeah. Right. And so just because we are here does not mean we are special. Exactly. We just won the 
the coin flipping yeah. contest, right? And that's like a hard pill to swallow, yeah. I think. Although I guess it's not a coin flip. Sorry. I guess yeah. there are like traits that were better it's adapted. It's a similar idea. Yes, it's a similar right. idea. Yeah. Well, it, and it is it is a coin flip if you think of all of the different types of animals yeah. that could have won at evolution. Yeah. Not necessarily the ones that exist. Right. So the design space. Exactly. The whole design space, right? It could have been anything. Yeah. And it's like, we won, right? But for no real like meaningful reason. It yeah. could have been like a dolphin with thumbs that, <laughs> right? And like that managed to like, walk on land. And Wait, could... you haven't seen one of those? <laughs> <laughs> They're hiding. Yeah. They're really deep down. Yeah. That's actually what Atlantis is. Yeah. Is. Uh, it's the like really smart thumb. dolphins. <laughs> Plato knew about it. He tried to warn us, but they're coming. So watch out. If you see dolphins, they've thumbs, been preparing for two thousand years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, Elon Musk is one of them. No, <laughs> solution is to move to inland cities. They don't do well out of water for too long. Oh man, uh, go listen to the emergency episode. Yeah. <laughs> Buy a bunch of harpoons. You'll be good to go. Move to Chicago, I guess. Start and... start eating more tuna. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, all right. Uh, no more no more dolphins or aquatic ape discussions. I don't know, man. We might have another one at some point. <laughs> we'll do a whole episode. We'll we'll find the person who talks about the aquatic apes and have them on. Oh, that actually be kind of fun. That'd be a fun episode. It'd be fun to have them and someone who like strongly disagreed with that. Yeah, exactly. And do a debate, debate episode. Yeah. That would actually be really fun. Right, we'll look into it. Yeah. If someone has connections to these people, please, <laughs> please help us out. Uh, and actually, you know, as I'm going through the rest of the outline we have here, we've touched on much of this. Yeah, stuff. we've just skipped around in like non-chronological order, but that's okay. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't like... Totally cool. Yeah. I think the one thing that we haven't touched on too much is how he in some ways reformulates part of the argument in GEB. Where, yeah. as I read it, then it's essentially saying that our consciousness and our mind is not special and that we like to think that, oh, machines can't think because they're just, you know, binary processes and how can a binary process ever create a mind? And he's saying, well, that's exactly what your mind is. Right. Right. Yeah. And you, we have evolved over billions of years from these extremely simple macros that were just hanging out on clay molecules into these hyper complex organisms. And, you know, because of that, we are not special. Our mind is, you know, down at the base layer. It's just like in GEB, right? It could be a bunch of ants running around. Yeah. But, you know, get enough of them and you've got this amazing emergent structure, emergent system. Right. And so he's kind of saying here indirectly that it's silly to think that a machine can't do that, too, because that's all we're doing. Right. It's not that we need a special machine. It's that we need to realize that we are not special, Mm. that we are just simply this easy algorithmic binary process that has been refined for so long that we can do these things. But with enough time, any other binary system can emerge these, you know, special structures. Would you need the right constraints to make that happen? Probably, yeah. but you can just run an evolutionary algorithm. Yeah, as right. Many as, <laughs> as many times yeah. you want, and people like, and I think this is pretty popular in a lot of a, uh, like machine learning type yeah, stuff. It's a, it's a really technique. good problem solving yeah. tool. Is you can create like evolutionary algorithms Algorithm. yeah. to create variations, test them, see which one wins, go based off that. Yeah. And then there's actually I don't remember where I was listening to this, but people who have designed those have found that you actually have to build in a certain amount of intentional failure and randomness. Interesting. Otherwise. You That's like in GEV, actually. Yeah, because if you yeah. don't do that, you don't find the global maximum. Huh? Because you, you just find the the you find the, the local, local maximum. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of like if you're you know climbing mountains or whatever, and you just go up. Yeah, you'll get to the highest peak of whatever peak you're on, but you won't get to the, the highest, highest peak. peak. Yeah. So there is a certain amount. So you kind of need like, to go down to go up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the only way you actually find the best system. And so it's kind of cool. That's that, really cool, actually. You know, people who were designing these machine learning algorithms thought, okay, we just make it, you know, have it make itself get better and better and better, and yep. that didn't work. Right. 
right. they had to build in this evolutionary randomness for to actually get the best results. That's actually really cool. Which is yeah, it's super yeah. cool. It's like mother nature or whatever, just like you know, this is just how it works. Yeah. And so it's almost like the evolutionary process itself must have undergone an evolutionary process, or that is just uh, kind of like a law of the universe that is the best way to find the optimal point of what a system. What universes go through an evolutionary process? I don't know, man. That's outside <laughs> of the system. We won't know that's that. Like, it's like the Gaia hypothesis. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, more like, uh, I don't know if it was in this book or probably a different book about the idea like, oh, like all the, the variables are just right for the emergence of life right. in our universe. Like, oh, if the speed of light was like slightly different, right? It's like, so the argument sort of against this like just like the fine-tuning argument mm -hmm. like oh god must have fine-tuned all these variables is yeah. that like in a universe where these variables were not set at these things we wouldn't be here to observe them so by definition our universe has to be one in which the variables are fine-tuned yeah so it doesn't prove it either way right right it's just sort of like that it just is yeah yeah it's just by definition has to be <laughs> i always find those arguments weird too where it's there's a word for it is, is it the Anthro Anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic bias principle or bias something. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm actually no, I'm confusing it with something else. But yeah, well, but you know what I mean, right? Where it's like, like, oh well, it's so special. The universe is yes. so special because all of these constants are just right for right. everything to exist. It's like okay. Yes, that seems unlikely, but that may also just be necessary, right? It's like there could just be no other option, yeah. right? When, when well, where sees, I was going with it is if there was a, uni let's say there were many universes, right? There just yeah. wouldn't be an observer in the ones that didn't have the fine tune, like the variables at this amount. So I sort of mean like from an evolutionary standpoint, I guess that's, it's not exactly evolution, yeah. but it's like the constraint is in order for there to be an observer, these values have to be what they are. <laughs> because we are an observer. Right. These values. These values. So it doesn't yeah. mean that like someone chose those values. Like I'm going to enter this in like, it, you know, you're making like a program and it's like C equals like right. this. No, it's like, it just there might be an infinite number yeah. of possibilities. It's just we wouldn't be there. Well, and there could be an infinite. Yeah, the universe could be an infinite iteration, right? Yeah. And it's like in you know an infinity minus one other versions of the universe. These didn't work out that way. Yeah, right. Or these types of observers wouldn't be. Maybe there are observers. There are just not human observers. Yeah, of, you know, or this particular variation of human. Anyway, now we're getting very like philosophical. And I know metaphysical. It's, dude, the the <laughs> crazy physics stuff. It's like the gaps in physics that we still have to figure out. Shit just gets so wild yeah right i and it's it's really cool to read it and understand have you like, read anything by brian green no so he's written a bunch of like accessible yet like well you read the neil degrasse tyson book yeah right? astrophysics yeah. for people in a hurry yeah but uh so brian green's a little bit more detailed than that he's probably like slightly less complicated than hofstetter okay in gev but he's still like complicated <laughs> yeah it's a slog to get through but okay. it's like very interesting i'm blanking on the name of the book but brian green is the author's name cool. very good books that he's uh, there's two that he's written so one's like sort of like an intro to string theory. Uh, and then one is more just like kind of like what uh, we were just talking about, like all the holes in modern understanding of physics. Like yeah. what are all the things we just definitely don't know the answer to right now? Well, and the way they figure out a lot of this stuff too is so crazy. Yeah. Because it's like, it's literally just people hanging out, you know, sitting around drinking coffee, whatever. And then being like, yo, what if this is true? Yeah. Right. Well, and it's then like kind of philosophy and physics really merge at the highest levels. Yeah. Well, not all of philosophy, but definitely a branch well, It's of basically, yeah, you, you philosophize about how how something might work and then you run all the physics tests to yeah. see if that hypothesis makes sense yeah right and it's basically just like doing a bunch of math yeah uh, which is kind of cool <laughs> there's no way to derive any of this stuff you just have to make a guess and then see if it fits yeah right it was <laughs> like with relativity you know that was a guess for a long time until we could fly up some clocks and see if they actually recorded time differently yeah. the clocks on the ground and they did <laughs> and they recorded it exactly differently according right. to the law of re relativity so it's like so, okay cool it works yeah right but until then it was basically just a really good guess yeah it was like the sounds like the 
that would work. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah it checks out, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I feel like we've pretty much touched on everything. I mean, there's a lot more deeper layers people can go into as they if they want to read the book. Yeah. But they should. Yeah. Excellent book. I will say you can skip you'll you'll know it when you get to it. Yeah. You'll know it when you get to it. The section that it just starts talking shit. No. Yeah. <laughs> like, this guy's wrong. This well, guy's he does, wrong. Though, guys. Yes, like, yeah. He's basically like it's a whole chapter is like a proof on why the guy is wrong. Mm-hmm. Which is good and necessary. And it was interesting to skim through, but I definitely started getting a little okay. Like I get it. I want to move on uh in there. And I don't think you lose too too much if you do zoom through that part and pick it back up a little later so um but no but i think this book was like really interesting one to read i mean if you're more into evolution as opposed to like ai like maybe pick this one up instead of geb mm-hmm. definitely don't try to read them simultaneously you'll go <laughs> nuts yeah uh, <laughs> that would be really hard <laughs> um yeah but i, yeah. I mean so there's so much to talk about on this yeah that, like <laughs> a lot of a lot of really interesting info in here and just like cool ideas i mean he's got a lot of things in here where he basically says that we basically should just stop trying to solve certain problems <laughs> yeah like moral decision making right it's always going to be an iterative mimetic evolution of how we think about morals there will never be an answer there's never the moral. there's never the ethics yeah. yeah so some of philosophy is kind of silly in that regard or he mentions that the you know human existence on the individual level is similar to the genetic variation right where there's no way we can mark the birth of a human soul in you know quotes any more than there's a natural way to mark the birth of a species which is where you know you come down in arguments like about abortion right, right? that's what i was just thinking it's, it's yeah. ultimately oh you know where do you draw the line about human existence right. and there is no answer right there's right? no right answer it's all subjective yeah, yeah. so good book. yeah no definitely a good book if you want to buy it you should go to the made you think podcast.com website yeah and click on the show notes and click on the book from there if you go to a home page you can find links to this episode's show notes or you should have a link to the show notes uh actually in the episode in the episode description maybe I don't think Maybe. it's usually in there. Well, th- so the challenge with that actually is that it's like a, it is its own strange loop in a way because I can't put the episode in the show notes until the episode is published, but I can't put the show notes in the episode until the show notes are published. So you have to pick one. Yeah. Otherwise you're just stuck in like a burden's <laughs> ass situation of like, do I do the, sh- the episode or the show notes first? <laughs> right. You need to get pushed in one direction. Yeah. So I usually, uh, we just link to the site. Yeah. think podcast.com. You can go there. You can find links to all the show notes. You can also sign up for our mailing list. Yeah. Which we highly recommend highly recommend uh like we said this is the last week of the free money giveaway so if you want to get on that you should definitely sign up uh aside from that (laughs) okay no but seriously uh we'll let you know about books that are coming out um on the show so if you want to read and catch up with us uh i will say we're should should we announce the one we're doing in like three months Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This literally was scheduled today. Yeah. We, so. we decided this today. So uh, we've both been wanting to reread Atlas Shrugged for a while, but it's a massive, massive book. It's like one of the it is actually one of the 10 longest books written in a Latin language. Really? Yeah. By word okay. count. How so, many words is, are in it? Do you know? Or I mean, I'm, it is a thousand I, pages I, I of small I don't expect words. you to know that off the top of your head. Many. <laughs> what if you were like 30, many 000. words? <laughs> no, not 30,000. That's like nothing. <laughs> for, uh, that's like one of my blog posts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, let me find this. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it's a really, really, really long book. So we gave ourselves uh, three months to <laughs> catch up. Yeah, we're doing three months to reread it. So if you want to reread it. If you want to reread it yeah. or read it for the first time and join us, uh, you can do that. I'm actually holding a copy and it's 1,200 pages. And I guess one thing maybe we should mention is that uh, if you're immediately turned off by the idea of reading Atlas Shrugged because of what you've heard about it, 
Definitely read it for yourself. You know, uh, and actually, like, yeah. everything that we've talked about in this episode and some past episodes is a good example. If you read the original Hebrew Bible and try to follow that word for word, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. If you like read, read Ayn Rand yeah, such a good and point. you try to follow her advice word for word, yep. you're going to have a bad time. But <laughs> there is good stuff in there. There is. And there are like great characters and interesting story arcs and all of that. Yep. And like the book had a big impact on me. I think I it had a big impact on yeah, you as definitely. well. A lot of people who uh, I look up to. It's I don't know why people call her, like they say she's a bad writer she was not a good she's not a bad writer no, she's a great writer. very engaging writer and like yeah okay i found the number of words by the way oh yeah how many is it Five hundred sixty-one thousand nine hundred ninety-six words <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> that is incredible so, so yeah she's a freaking good writer if she can get you to read that many words mm-hmm. and follow the, along the, the one, story the one i think very accurate criticism of her is that her characters are very flat yeah I'll so that. most characters don't go through any serious evolution yeah. they're mostly just mirrors but for the her plots f- pretty interesting. yeah the plots are pretty cool yeah. and especially with this you can see some of the story arcs getting played out in modern society mm-hmm. too yeah actually some things we talked about in other episodes mm-hmm. like uh sovereign individual sovereign individual like definitely. a lot of the sovereign individual solutions I guess, solutions sorry. are kind of like a well i shouldn't give this away yeah right? although i think we away. mentioned it in the episode we just won't give it away yeah we'll just, just, just if you like <laughs> sovereign individual you'll like abstract although i sure i can't imagine somebody has read sovereign individual who hasn't at least heard <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> they, they just go hand in hand so well yeah uh but anyway so put that on your calendar for three months from now other books will give probably less lead time because yeah. they don't take you know the life of a small child to read <laughs> by, uh, by the time i'm done with the book my puppy will be full grown right exactly <laughs> uh, uh but yeah. yeah so sign up for the email list will also let you know um about like actual giveaways we're doing yeah. that aren't fictitious giveaways uh, <laughs> we mean fictitious giveaways i signed up for the free so, cash giveaway <laughs> that just shows up and like throws money at you <laughs> uh but uh yeah and you'll, you'll know about episodes that are coming out uh, uh there's links to bonus content as well true, we do bonus content so we'll usually talk about even more off-topic stuff before the episode starts but it's somewhat useful i found like some of the things at least we've gotten some feedback from some of our early email subscribers that there were some interesting things we talked about like yeah. i think we talked about like uh in the first email that went out forget which episode but it was one of the bonus content ones we had uh talk about how we manage our own personal time oh yeah uh, or our work time yeah yeah we ended up talking more about like the productivity business we talked about crypto a lot yeah talk about like current events things yeah and there's like random other stuff we've read that doesn't come up in the episodes so it's a a good mix of bonus tangents and stuff so it's free it's free in the email it's free we should also say a few words about our very nice, nice sponsors. Our supporters, our sponsors. So we'll, we'll mix up the order again. And <laughs> see, last time we started with Kettle and Fire, I think. So yeah. We'll start with Perfect Keto yeah. today. <laughs> Perfect Keto is your one-stop shop for all of your ketogenic diet needs. Uh, we can't go too much into exactly what a keto diet is. Basically, we've gone into it a good amount throughout the episodes, but interesting diet. There's some interesting research for it and against it. You know, there's people on both sides, but eating a diet so that your body gets into a state of ketosis where you're burning or you're using ketone bodies instead of glucose to fuel your energy. It's extremely effective for weight loss. We know that for a fact and really effective for weight loss. And then Perfect Keto creates products that makes it easier to maintain the diet. So exogenous ketones that help you get into ketosis, MCT oil powders, so you can get a good pure fat without like having explosive 
explosive diarrhea, which is always nice. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> it's a good perk. It's a good perk. <laughs> so uh, you can use coupon code THINK with them, or you should be able to go to perfectketo.com slash THINK to get a 20% discount. And that also supports us. I think you get a discount. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you get a discount. Yeah. And that also supports us. So we get a cut of whatever you buy. You pay less. We get a cut. It's great. It's a win-win. Uh, everybody wins. And yeah, so be sure to check that out. Also, if you want something to put your delicious MCT oil powder in, you get some mushroom coffee from Four Sigmatic. So these guys... Sigmatic.com slash think. Exactly. They make different mushroom elixirs that are, you know, ground up mushrooms that, you know, do different cool things to your body. Uh, One of those is Energize You. So they have a really good mushroom coffee. It's a mix of instant coffee and ground up mushroom. We're Uh, normally drinking that during the episodes. Not that yeah. much caffeine. Not that much so caffeine. It's only like 50 like milligrams. Yes, it's like a cup of green tea. Yeah. Uh, normal coffee has 100 to 150. Mushroom coffee only has about 50. But so it has chaga mushrooms. Chaga and, and lion's mane. Uh, lion's mane, yeah. Yeah, which are both also stimulants. Really nice buzz. Highly recommend it. Yep. I drink it pretty much every day. I think you do as well. It's morning routine Yeah, now. morning routine. They've also got a cordyceps elixir, which is a non-caffeine stimulant. So if you want something later in the day to perk you up. And then the other thing I've had recently is their hot cocos. Mm. Yeah, they're I tried awesome. that the other yeah, night. They're yeah. good, right? Yeah. The Rishi one. The Rishi one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's They've got so a, yeah. a Rishi hot chocolate, which is like a nice bedtime drink. The Rishi is very relaxing. Yeah. So you just it's have got a nice good taste to it, too. It's a good dessert, actually. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's not even like that sweet. And there's like only a- two grams of sugar in it. Yeah. So good. pretty light. I think they use a little stevia to sweeten it as okay. well, which helps. Uh, it's and got then, a good flavor. Yeah. Nice Definitely flavor. nice, relaxing, especially in the winter. Got, you know, pretty well, today isn't as cold, but it has been has freaking been cold in New York. So yeah, it's been nice. that as well. And then if you're looking for another nice, warm thing to drink, if it's cold out or even if it's not uh kettle and fire bone broth yeah so they make bone broth from beef chicken and then they have a chicken and mushroom one you can only get that one at whole foods but with them again coupon code think or kettleandfire.com slash think 20 percent off your order as well and this is just great for getting certain nutrients that we don't get in our diet anymore yeah. humans evolutionarily Possibly. Uh, this is a more prevailing theory than the aquatic apes, right? <laughs> is that we were we were scavengers, like literally even after the hyenas, right? Where we would go and we'd break open bones and suck out the marrow. And that was some of the only meat product that we would get. Hmm. And bone broth is made from, you know, what's left over in the bones. And so we're getting some of that marrow and collagen and other nutrients that we don't normally get in our diet anymore. Which so, our bodies are, I guess, evolutionarily selected to need. To want, yeah. To want and need and, for a healthy functioning. And getting them back has helped with, you know, curing some weird diseases that are definitely diseases of modernity. Yeah. Uh, SIBO is definitely one. Uh, small intestines, bacterial overgrowth. So if you have a really bad diet, especially high in processed carbs, you can get this. Uh, you can get SIBO where your gut just gets super inflamed. It can't process foods. Uh, you retain a lot more fat as a result of it. You have a lot worse like gastric distress. Uh, and it's a uh, it's a dysfunction of your microbiota, right? So your gut bacteria and certain foods along with cleaning up your diet can help heal your gut bacteria and bone broth is actually really high on that list so if you have any kind of like gastrointestinal distress regularly even if you get like heartburn and stuff it can be interesting to experiment with changing your diet and and adding back in some of these ancestral foods yeah so getting bone broth getting definitely worth trying at least yeah for sure and And try it go to kettleandfire.com slash think think. and get your discount help support your show help support us you can also go to the made you think podcast website so made you think podcast.com hit the support tab and just go shop 
shop on Amazon like you would normally shop. Yeah. And you can buy the books, you can buy photography equipment, you can <laughs> buy a boat. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You can buy whatever you want. Laptops. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Your price doesn't change. But the podcast gets, I think it's what, four or five percent? Yeah, we get five to seven percent depending on what they get, which is a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's a yeah. pretty good deal. And for you, it doesn't cost any anything. Exactly. Extra. It costs you guys nothing extra. Yep. Helps support us. Takes a little money from Jeff Bezos and gives it to us. So I think there you uh, go. it's a good win-win. Maybe <laughs> not so much win-win-win for him, but win-win at least for you and us. So Yep. And um, uh if you have uh, an ICO, an initial coin offering that you want to pay us to sponsor. Okay, no. <laughs> Absolutely not doing that. Uh, we're, uh, we're actually launching our own coin, uh, ThinkCoin. NYT coin. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've issued a trillion of them, and I bought one for $1 today, so its market cap is a trillion dollars. Wow. Yeah. We each have $500 billion. Yeah, yeah right? It's the good. most successful coin on the market right now. Isn't market cap cool? But yeah, this is your little public service announcement. Don't get scammed by ICOs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially anybody. Especially these days. Yeah, especially these days. Yeah, especially these days. <laughs> Just bad news. Yeah. So. I feel like there's a lot of noise in the system right now. Uh, so much noise. Yeah. <laughs> so much noise. But, you know, it's funny. We keep saying that it's going to crash. People are going to lose their shirts. Still hasn't happened. Yeah. We've been saying that happened. for two months. And yeah. it's still, like, chugging along. Everyone's... It's not chugging along up right now, at least as the time of recording. Well, but some of it... I mean, we some just saw that crazy are. ripple stuff. Yeah, some of the right? coins are. Although, that came right back down. Yeah, that came but... right back down. But still, <laughs> <laughs> it was fun while it lasted. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and some of the alts are up. Ethereum's way up. Ethereum's, Ethereum's at, like, Although, you brought now. up a really good point the other day. Yeah. I don't know if we were recording on that. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like... So, I don't know if we ever talked about this on air, but basically, Nat was tracking the ethereum price in relation to bitcoin right instead of to usd yeah and so when bitcoin went up like crazy over the past you know a couple months ethereum didn't go up in the same ratio so if you looked at it on the eth over btc over btc it was actually trading it it was a discount yeah Yeah, it was crashing effectively yeah and now it's gone back up but nowhere near where it was in may or june when ethereum first spiked yeah it's never gotten back. that's how i've been i've been explaining this to myself the recent ethereum rise is just it's not really a rise like a back to parity back to parity yeah it's catching up to what it the historic ratio is yeah it's a cool way to think about it to look at the prices yeah because pretty much everything is entered from or like pretty much all of the investing comes in through bitcoin right and most people that i talk to who are buying up other like uh like the all new coins, coins yeah all coins they're usually doing it to increase their bitcoin or ethereum holdings hmm. like that's a very common behavior i've noticed so uh, they'll sure buy that hope it goes up and then sell it into yeah. exactly because they figure it's going to go back to some parity eventually mm, interesting. uh i know some people who are doing this with litecoin this is why i exited a lot of my litecoin holdings because i noticed it was like fluctuating within a certain range mm. uh and so once it hit the top of that range again i just sold yeah, off a good portion of yeah. it right because it was at a really good ratio to bitcoin even though it was trading at a lower dollar value, right? Bitcoin was also at a way lower dollar value, uh, but so Bitcoin had crashed more than Litecoin. Interesting. And so it was a really good time to switch from one to the other, right? It's kind of a fun way of thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. And it actually makes more sense to do it that way than in USD mm-hmm. because a lot of, at least the altcoins are mostly priced in BTC yeah. or ETH. Well, and it's really easy to trick yourself into thinking you're getting a good deal yeah. when you're actually paying a pretty high opportunity cost. Because mm-hmm. I had somebody point this out to me that when Litecoin was making its first rally, I was like, oh, Oh, haha, like told you you should invest in a Litecoin. And he was like, well, yeah, it went up, but not as much as these other things, uh, right? There was an opportunity cost yeah. investing in it. Yeah. And that's when I was like, okay, yeah, that's actually a really good point. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm wrong. You're right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's like a very easy thing to forget about is opportunity cost as it comes, as it relates to these things. Yeah. To money in general, right? Yeah. Like whatever, I, I've thought about that way more now too, with like the business and yeah. free cash flow and stuff. Right. right? So it's like when you spend on one thing, you can't spend on the you other. spend on something else, yeah. right? And you've got to figure out, right? It's not just what's the best way or like it's not even what's the best 
like marketing channel to invest in, but does it even make sense to invest in a marketing channel, right? Like yeah. you have to think on a lot of levels with the opportunity cost versus like in your case, dollars. hiring like another writer, maybe, or another, like there might be some other resource that might move you along better than even a marketing channel. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or would prevent you from messing up with an existing client. Right. Right. Or something so, like, like you might be able to lose yes, a client. Exactly. That pays a certain more. amount. That's yes. worth more than like getting a new one. Yes, right? exactly. So yeah. yeah. Or like when you decide to get a project manager. Right. Like that's a great example of it. Right. It's like you could have probably invested in buying ads for your agency right and solve the problem right yeah yeah <laughs> the constraint yeah bottleneck episode That's 14 maybe the goal the goal the book yeah. is the goal yeah uh a great book everyone should go check that episode out that was a fun episode that was a fun episode herbie. that's why yeah herbie that kid on the hike <laughs> That's that's your bottleneck. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, if you haven't heard the episode, it probably doesn't make sense. Like any sense, said, so you better you better go listen to it. Hopefully, your name is not Herbie. Yeah, to all the Herbies out there, we're sorry. Yeah. Yeah, amongst our millions of listeners, there must be a Herbie <laughs> or two out there. So that'd be actually really funny if we get an email or a tweet from somebody who's <laughs> yeah. like, "Fuck you guys, oh, you guys yeah. making fun of me." <laughs> I'm dealing with this shit my entire life. Yeah. Uh, oh, he's like, "I'm the guy they were talking about in the book." <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, all right. Enough banter. Yep. With that, majorthinkpodcast.com. Look at everything that we mentioned here. Yep. Oh, and please leave a review on iTunes. Yeah. Or wherever else you get your podcasts. Yeah, that helps us a lot. We'll show up as a recommended podcast for other people. And uh, it also just looks cool and strokes our ego. So So that's always good. It's always good. And if you're not sure the best way to do that, just Google iTunes made you think. It'll take you to the iTunes page. There'll be a button there to leave a review. That's all it takes. Super simple. That's all you need to do. Yeah. And you should subscribe so you know. If you're not subscribed, you should do that. I always forget there are people who like aren't subscribed who just listen. Yeah. So you should definitely subscribe. There's the episodes are ten percent better if you subscribe to them. Oh, at least ten percent. At least ten percent. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely increases your enjoyment. Yeah. And your crypto holdings. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we will stop with the false claims right now. (laughs) (laughs) These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA or the SEC. Please speak to your doctor and or investment advisor before taking any advice from the Major Thing podcast. Uh, uh, yeah, this is like becoming a comedy show. I know. Yeah. Well, as, as we approach the three hour mark, we yeah. definitely get sillier and sillier. And we didn't even have alcohol today or mushroom coffee. I know. So, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's Friday. Yeah, Hanging we just out. Got our Hanging, having a good time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now that, you know, after we went through a book that basically said that our lives are meaningless and our minds aren't special, we need to lighten the mood a little bit at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the only other thing, uh, I guess we can tell them the next book since oh, we're yeah. on here. Yeah. The next book is What Everybody Is Saying, right? Yeah. What Everybody Is Saying by Joe Navarro. Yeah, Navarro uh, or something. Yeah. And it's basically a, at least from the subtitle, because I haven't started the book yet. Oh, have you uh, not read it before? No, I have oh, it. I have it. It's sitting in my bag okay, right yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, I read it like six years ago, so I'm really excited to reread it. Yeah, it's, it seems, well, I guess since you read it, maybe you give the quick overview of what it's about. Yeah, I mean, it's All exactly, I know is the subtitle. Yeah, it's, it's exactly <laughs> what it says on the cover. It's a really good, concise guide to body language, mm. right? And obviously, this stuff is not perfect, and yeah. there's a lot of misinterpretation that happens with it, but it is a good guide to reading people's body language. It'll be a fun challenge to see if we can do this as a podcast. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> It's going to be a definitely different from what we normally do. Yeah. So it'll be cool. Be testing to, our skills. Maybe we can do it while standing. Yeah. Although be, that doesn't help our listeners, but. <laughs> no, this will be the time to record the YouTube video along with the <laughs> podcast episode. <sighs> cool. All right. Well, until next time, everyone, we will uh, see you soon. See you next week. Hope this episode made you think. Yeah. <laughs> that should be our new outro. <laughs> All right. On that All right. note. See you guys next time. Bye.